right. Hello. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline studio here, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. We are here until 4 a.m. It is a Sunday night into Monday morning. Monday morning, that means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke. Uh, because we like to start off your work week with a laugh, so my dad's going to call in later, tell a joke. Uh, we got Walter's Perspective coming up as well here on WGN. Uh, Rod Pyle is going to join us from Ad Astra Magazine. He's our space expert, and he's uh, he's one of my favorite guests. And uh, we'll have Rod come in here, uh, talk to him uh, a little bit after 12. Our phone number is 312-981-7200, 312-981-7200 on the Team Hochberg phone line. And... Um, we always play some classic Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on uh, Antenna TV. And uh, Franklin Ajay is going to be uh, doing some comedy for us. Very funny guy. Um, uh, actually, sort of a legendary comedian. And um, had him on the show uh, a, a few times. And uh, he's really funny. So this will be from 1988. Classic Johnny Carson, Franklin Ajay. So uh, 312-981-7200. That's our phone number. If you would like to join us, we would love to hear from you. And uh, there you go. So um, we had a few stories here that I wanted to get to. One of them is uh, is what I think is really kind of an interesting one, is that um, West Virginians are campaigning to replace Confederate statues with Mothman sculptures. Now, you're familiar with the legend of the of the Mothman. Um. Uh, they they made a movie called The Mothman Prophecies uh, a few years back with Richard Gere, um, but it's a uh, it's a uh, this is an interesting story interesting story I don't know why I find this so amusing. Um, with states reckoning uh, with their racial pasts and the uh, presence of statues dedicated to the Confederacy, many are seeking replacements for statues that they want to be removed around the country. Some interesting suggestions have popped up, including Britney Spears statues in Louisiana. <laughs> Britney Spears from Louisiana? Is she, is she uh, in New Orleans or? No, Louisiana is a big state. So there's, yeah, there's more than just New Orleans. In yeah, more than this. All right. Dolly Parton in Tennessee. Well, that makes sense. And now people in West Virginia want to spread their most magnificent slice of folklore to replace the old figures. Mothman, the legendary cryptid that allegedly appeared in Point Pleasant, West Virginia ahead of the 1967 Silver Bridge collapse that killed 46 people as the newest candidate. While that seems far more questionable uh, than a general from the Confederacy, Mel Magazine claims the creature holds more significance for those in West Virginia than any real-life military figure. Mothman was blamed or and retroactively seen as a bad omen that foreshadowed the disaster. Uh, Twitter user Brenna explained to Mel Magazine. From there, the legend of the Mothman spread across the country and became an urban legend of sorts. They are joined by 30-year-old Jay Sison, a teacher and lifelong resident of the state who decorates his classroom with photos of cryptids like Sasquatch, the Flatlands Monster, and the iconic Mothman. What's the, the Flatwoods, what's the Flatwoods Monster? Tom, do you know the Flatwoods Monster? I don't know that one. Yeah, not off the top of my head. Let's see. One of those sort of legend, uh, legendary little uh, little monsters here. Yeah. Funny enough, also from West Virginia. Boy, they got a lot of them there. Mm-hmm. Well, what is the Flatwoods monster? What's the legend? 
So apparently on at 7.15 p.m. on September 12th, 1952, two brothers, Edward and Fred May, and their t- uh, friend Tommy Heyer said they saw a bright object cross the sky and land on the property of local farmer G. Bailey Fisher. The boys went into the home of Kathleen May, where they told their story. May, accompanied by the three boys, local children Neil Nunley and Ronnie Shaver, and the West Virginia National Guardsman Eugene Lemon, went to the Fisher farm in in an effort to locate whatever it was that the boys said they had seen. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Never heard that one before. Yeah, that's a new one. West Virginia's got a lot going on. They do. <laughs> Spooky place, West Virginia. I've only been there once. Years ago. Um, did you see the Mothman? I did not. Now I was a kid. We, we, and we It was essentially like a drive-thru. Because I've been to a lot of states. Many of them just driving through because we used to drive everywhere when I was a kid. Um, he's one of the many supporting the push to have the statues erected in the place of Stonewall Jackson. I want my students to love their home and make it better despite the problems that exist here. I want them to see the good that exists here. Sison told Mel magazine. I want our community to beat the odds. And the Mothman can embody that spirit because it's ours. It's a symbol for something bigger. <laughs> Dude, does does, uh, does Illinois have a Mothman? Do we have any uh, local? Uh, do we have any local lore? Hmm. Well, I mean, we've got things like uh, Resurrection Mary. Resurrection. Oh yeah, of course, Resurrection Mary. I yeah. think that would be a worthy statue outside yeah. of that cemetery. Although it'd be probably freaky to have by the side of the road late at night. Yeah. And you see a statue of a woman. I'm yeah. thinking Chance the Snapper. I think there should be a statue for Chance You know, that Snapper. was a year ago. That was a year ago. Almost to the, what was yesterday or the day before? It was yesterday? last week. Last week. It was last week. Yeah. It was the year anniversary of Chance the uh, Snapper. Yeah. Why don't we have a, a monument to that yet? <laughs> it doesn't need to be big. Just a little, I don't know, stone gator. You're thinking you're thinking a statue to snap to to chance the snapper. Chance the snapper. I think that would be a worthy new statue. Resurrection Mary would be good. Mm-hmm. Um probably shouldn't do one for Al Capone. We'll we'll just let him live in the Yeah, no, we in the this, stories. This this city is already, you know it was it's funny because, you know, um the late great Roy Leonard, my hero and mentor, used to travel a lot. And he said that when he would go overseas uh, and they would ask where he was from and he would say Chicago, they would say, oh, Al Capone, Al Capone, Al Capone. But then during the 90s run, uh, uh, the, the incredible run that the Bulls had in the 90s, Roy said that when he would travel at that time, instead of Al Capone, it was Michael Jordan. That was... That was the, yeah, that, I'd much it, rather It, it completely that. changed. It was like... In the mid-90s, early to mid-90s, it was always Michael Jordan. No more Al, Cap- Al Capone. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, do you think we should have a, a, a Mothman-like sculpture put up? We also have some uh, UFO task force that there's actually a, a, the, the, the Navy has a UFO task force. I'm going to talk a little bit about that, too. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Who deserves a statue in Chicago? What kind of legend do we have? You want a Resurrection Mary statue, right? I think that would be great. All right. Do we know what she looks like? 
We can guess. Uh-huh. I mean, there's a number of people you could probably ask. Number of people have seen Resurrection Mary. They pick her up. She gets in the car, sits in the back seat. They drive. You get to the you get to the end of the uh, of the cemetery. She disappears and leaves a, a, a like a, wet, a puddle a puddle in, in, yeah. in the in the back seat. So would someone have to hose down the statue all the time? <laughs> all right. Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. And uh, we're live in the uh, Skyline studio here until 4. Rod Pyle is going to join us. He's our space expert from Ad Astra Magazine. Always a lot of fun when Rod's on. Always have a great time. Lots to talk about. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the uh, number if you would like to uh, join us. So they want to replace the Confederate statues in West Virginia with Mothman sculptures. Do we know what the what, what, what does the moth ha, Mothman have a distinctive look? Yeah, I mean it's it generally described as having you know big shining red eyes, uh, massive wings, but not not like moth wings; they're a little bit more bat like and uh, talons. You know, there was a rash of sightings not you know just a couple of a few years back here in Chicago. They were really there was the summer of Mothman. Yeah, that's right. I kind of remember that. Yeah. So Mothman statues instead of uh, Confederate statues. <laughs> the Mothman. <laughs> um, so the uh, Navy has confirmed that um, they have a UFO task force. Um, how, how, where, where do you stand on UFOs, Tom? I'm open to it. Yeah, I'm open to what's to at least taking a look. You know, I watched Close Encounters over the weekend. Did you catch that cameo from uh, I the did Chicagoan J. Allen Hynek? I did. Well, now that I was hip to it, yeah, yeah, that you were hip to it. Um, I love that movie. I really do. Um, the Senate Intelligence Committee wants the Director of National Intelligence and the Secretary of Defense to create a comprehensive, unclassified report concerning unidentified aerial phenomena upon the passing of a Senate appropriations bill initiated by Senator Marco Rubio. So, uh, how long have we had this uh, UFO task force, I wonder? It's been around a while, right? It's got to be a long time. Do we have a... Is there a... The first... Can, can we trace back to the very first sighting of a UFO? Or at least the report of, you know, like the very first, you know, UFO sighting. Because we get sightings now all over the place. There's all kinds of weird stuff in the sky. Um, they want a detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomena data and intelligence reporting 
uh, collected or held by the Office of Naval Intelligence, including data and intelligence reporting that would be held by the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force. So it's the UFO Task Force. The, this report is to be submitted to the Congressional Intelligence and Armed Services Committees 180 days after the funding bill's enactment and should be unclassified, although it may have a classified annex. Notably, the committee report acknowledges the existence of an unidentified aerial phenomenon task force in the U.S. intelligence apparatus. Um, yeah, there's a movie here. <laughs> Oh, there's a show there. It's called The X-Files. I mean, that's kind of what... Yeah. That's David Duchovny hanging out in a basement. Yeah. I will say that one of the earliest, according to history, history.com, so History History Channel, uh, claims that one of the earliest yeah. was March 1st, 1639. Oh, my gosh. 1639. And that's, that's the broad definition of... Just something, something in, in the, the sky. sky that you don't know what it is. Uh, it was recorded by John Winthrop in his diary. He mentioned that uh, as the governor... What he, was the year again? 16... 1639. Okay. Because there was nothing in the sky then. Yeah. Apart apart from the stars. Yeah. Not okay. a whole lot going on. But uh, apparently Winthrop wrote that earlier in the year, James Everill, a sober, discreet man, <laughs> he says... <laughs> I like how they preface that. Yeah. <laughs> of sober mind of sober mind and body. Right, right. And two others had been rowing a boat in the muddy river which flowed through the swampland and emptied into the tidal basin in the Charles River. So this is obviously in uh Massachusetts. Right. Uh they lo- saw great light in the night sky and when it when it stood still it flamed up and was about 3 yards square the governor reported. When it ran it was contracted into the figure of a swine what so it turned into a pig what okay all right i mean they were sober apparently (laughs) they were puritans i'm not sure if they were you know we're talking about these are the uh some of the earliest settlers of the country yeah so i don't think they were much into the drink i think that was not really their no, they were, Puritans. they were Puritans. <laughs> but yeah, it goes for America, at least earliest uh, identified flying object sighting, 1639. That goes first. That goes way back to way back. But before I would even have thought that there was any it'd be a sighting. Did they did they amp up did the UFO sightings amp up in the 50s? I mean, following Roswell, they had to. Right? It became such a thing. Yeah. Everybody was really excited about it. You had popular television and radio. I mean, you've got War of the Worlds, and that was in 1938, that broadcast. Right. You know, very famous. It just it ramped up quite a bit, I would say, in the 50s, because that was when a lot of, like, really popular sci-fi was going on. Oh, yeah, on, no, like, no, yeah. Days. That, was the, that, was the, that was the time for the, for the sci-fi stuff. I mean, it really amped up in the 50s. Uh, anybody ever have a, a little encounter with the night sky? <laughs> um, yeah, so the, uh, the, uh, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force is here. 
The committee supports the efforts of the uh, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force at the Office of Naval Intelligence to standardize collection and reporting on identified aerial phenomenon. Um, So, if there's a potential threat we want to know about it, the committee report expresses the need for detailed analysis of unidentified phenomenon data collected by geospatial intelligence, signals intelligence, human intelligence, and measurement and signals intelligence, as well as detailed analysis of data from the FBI, which was derived from investigations of intrusions of unidentified aerial phenomenal data, phenomenal data uh, over restricted United, Air, United States airspace. That's, a, that's pretty wordy. Suffice it to say, there's a bunch of dudes who are looking up at the sky trying to make sure, right? You know, it's. It, I guess you could call it a national security issue if you wanted to be, well, yeah. you know, realistic about it. That's what we're dealing with. Yeah, you know, no one's saying that it has to be extraterrestrial, but we are saying that you need to pay attention to what's up in the sky. Uh, I would, I would think that that would be pretty logical, pretty pertinent. Yeah. Um, see, here's Annette on WGN. Hi, Annette. Hi, how are you, Nick? All right, what's up? Well, a couple things. Wasn't there a Mothman movie? I seem to remember or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Richard Gere Gere and Laura Linney. Okay, that's what I thought. It was called The The Mothman Prophecies. That was the name of it. There you go. Yeah, I thought so. And then I thought it was kind of funny when you were talking about the UFO in the 1600s and how it turned into a swine. Well, I guess pigs really can fly. Oh, so, come on uh, now. All I right. had to do it. All I had right, to do Annette, it. I'm thank you. sorry. Okay. okay. And you know what? I just want to say real quick. It seems like the UFO is amped up after the dropping of the bomb. It just that's, seems. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably, there's a coordination. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thanks, Annette. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All right. Have a good night, dear. That's a good point. Yeah, the, the atomic age. Yeah, absolutely. and kind of that uh, that interest in uh, what's possible in sauce. Well, and and, that, and then like that, that really did kick off, you know, a whole sci-fi movement. Yeah, the when the day the Earth stood still was in the fifties, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, the early. I'm gonna say fifty, fifty-one, fifty-two, maybe. Oh, the remake was bad. Look, I love Keanu, but the remake was bad. But the original is classic. You know, one of the one of the best sci-fi movies ever made. Yeah. All right, so UFOs, man, they're being taken seriously. You ever have an encounter? 312-981-7200. I've never had half of my face sunburned like Richard Dreyfus, though. In uh, Close Encounters. <laughs> well, I know it wasn't too long ago we had the thing with Starlink. You know, Elon Musk had, you were, oh. folks were calling in. They were saying, like, there's like a string of 17 lights in the sky. Mm-hmm. That must have been pretty weird to see on a Sunday night. You know, just running across the sky. Yeah. You could call that a UFO. I mean, eventually it was identified. Right. We knew what it was. Luckily, we but had for a while, people were freaking out. Hell, I would. Hanging out on your your back porch on a Sunday night and just a random string of 17 lights? Yeah. That's a little weird. Uh, 312-981-7200. Let's get back to the UFO. We're going to talk UFOs and more and, uh, and, and Mothman. Mothman? 
Are there more than one Mothman? <laughs> Is he a single guy? He's just a Mothman. Leave him alone. All right. Uh, 312-981-7200. to Gilio on WGN. Gilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. It'll be a Monday morning, which means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. We're going to talk with Rod Pyle, who is an author, journalist, editor-in-chief at Ad Astra Magazine, uh, about all kinds of space stories and much, much more. Always always a blast when when uh, when Rod joins us. 312-981-7200 is the... Uh, is the number if you would like to join us. We've been talking about Mothman <laughs> and UFOs. So besides Resurrection Mary, what are the, what are some of the other legends that we have here? Isn't there what's the what's the uh you know we talk about this um right around Halloween, the late great Richard Crow, who was uh the ghost hunter who used to be on with Eddie Schwartz, he was on with Stephen Johnny, he was on with me. He was a staple that we had on right around Halloween because he knew so much about everything that was haunted. What's the what's the one area in Illinois that's the most haunted? I think isn't it a it was like a mob cemetery or something like that. No, I'm talking about like like there's a suburb, like something Grove. I think I think Grove is part of it, and it's supposed to be the most haunted, the most haunted place in Illinois. Like reports all all over the place, like very strange things happening. If anyone knows, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. We would love to hear from you. So here's Bruce on WGN. Hi, Bruce. Hi. Um, I was a friend of a gentleman back in the nineteen eighties. That was a real down to earth guy. He was a pilot for uh, a Learjet for business, and he. Uh, I asked him about UFOs, and he said what encounters he may have had. And he mentioned to me that he was flying in southern Illinois, and there was an object about the size of a large van, silver, kind of wedge-shaped, and it toyed with him for about 20 minutes, flying next to him, over him, uh, would disappear, come back, and uh, and it finally uh, disappeared. But as he told me you don't as a pilot you just especially in those days you did not report anything like that mm. wow okay that's interesting is was there a reason why they, they're not going to report it because they would th- what they would think they were nuts oh that that's i think that's been going on for many years a lot of pilots get in a lot of trouble when they report things like this mm-hmm. they uh sometimes jeopardize their careers wow okay all right well that's interesting all right. Uh, thank you, Bruce. You're welcome. Take care. That's interesting. Don't report it. Don't report it because I just think you're nuts. 312-981-7200 is the phone number, but we do have uh, a UFO task force for real. So it's, it you know, it's, it's being taken pretty seriously if there's if there's a uh, a task force. So is there a Mothman task force? 
Yeah, I don't know anything really about the. I mean, I I've, obviously I've heard about you know the Mothman. I, I think people know, but the only thing that I know about the Mothman is the movie that I you know the, from a year, from a few years back uh, with Richard Gere and Laura Linney, which is a really good movie and really scary. Scared the hell out of my ex-wife. That's like the for, for my ex-wife is the scariest movie she's ever seen. She completely freaked out during the Mothman prophecies. So uh, here's Joan on WGN. Hi, Joan. Hi. Hi. Hi, Nick. I love your show tonight. Thank you. I know the name of the cemetery you're trying to think of. Okay. It's Bachelor's Grove. That's it. Bachelor's Grove. Yeah. That's yes, the that's is. that get we every time we talk about places that are haunted, that pops up every single time. <laughs> I know, I know. I've been there and it's really terrifying. Yeah. Very dark and misty, just like in the movies. Well, what was it? What was? What is it about it that's so terrifying? Tell me about your experience. Well, it's so dark, and there's tombstones, and they're knocked over, and it was just the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I didn't see. There's supposed to be a cabin you can see and lights that you can see. We didn't see any of that, but it was just the atmosphere and this really creepy feeling you got when you were there. Yeah. You were all alone in the middle of the woods. Yeah, that's, that's, I don't need that. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't go. (laughs) No, I don't need that. Yeah, that's it though. Yeah. Bachelor's Grove. It comes up. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's legendary. It is. It is. We had to go see it. Okay. All right, Joan. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot. Yeah, that's what it is. You've heard about Bachelor's Grove, right? The minute she mentioned it to me, yeah. I, I picked up the phone. She said, I know what he's talking about, Bachelor's Grove. Yeah. And uh, it's just, the site, uh, Here, here's an interesting piece. The site has often been reported to be a dumping ground for victims of Chicago's organized crime families of the 1920s and 30s. Yeah. Uh, but no evidence of that has been proven. It's kind of just, a, you know, an urban legend at this point. But... Um, I'm looking at photos of it. It is weird. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, like I've said, you know, all these years that I've been doing these shows and, you know, all the years that we've had the late, great Richard Crow on, um, and other people, you know, to talk about what the haunted parts of Illinois, that Bachelor's Grove comes up every single time. Yeah. What are some of the other more haunted places in, uh, in Illinois? Well, you've got the, is it the back of the Nederlander? Um, well, I mean, you have the place where uh, John Dillinger was shot. That mm-hmm. was that was uh, particularly... That's the biograph. Yeah, the biograph there. Um, apparently, the death alley behind the Nederlander, formerly na- known as the Oriental. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Oriental Theater, yeah. Uh, it was called the Iroquois Theater at one point. Oh, yeah, and it became the site of an infamous fire. Uh, it was apparently supposedly fireproof, but during the blaze, the fire doors were locked, trapping 2,000 people inside Oof. during a fire. When the flames subsided, 602 people were pronounced dead. Oh, my God. That happened in the Oriental Theater? Yep. Oh, man. You know how many movies I saw at the Oriental when I was a kid? Probably a lot. A lot. Did you ever get a weird, weird sense of what was going yeah, on? Everything there? was weird back in the in the seventies. <laughs> it was a weird decade in the man. loop. Yeah, I mean, you go to the loop, it was just weird in the seventies. You expected to see a ghost in the theater. Yeah, he was taking, he mean, was taking your the, tickets. By that, by that point, they were seriously. I mean, they were beautiful, big, giant theaters, but they were grindhouses at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, 
little rodent infestations and all kinds of ooh, all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, early mid seventies, back in the loop, man. Those theaters. I mean, they, they once glorious, beautiful theaters. They they had seen better days when I was going when I was going downtown with my dad in the uh, early mid seventies. They they those theaters had seen much better days. Uh, let's see. Here's John on WGN. Hi, John. Nick, I want to talk about two things. One, without building statues, you had to build uh, one of uh, Robert Jordan, Avis Lavelle, and Muriel Clear. WCN reporters. Uh, okay. Because they, they were black reporters and they were pioneers. Okay. They were really good reporters. I don't think they're on the air now, but Robert Jordan was like a hero to me. Oh, I know. I, I, know, I know who he is. Yep. Yeah, hello. Okay. Um, we're talk about the moth, man. Uh, I can give you more information on that. Well, go ahead. Okay. Um, there were a bunch of teenagers, and they went down to a place called a TNT yard or something, and it was a it was an explosive storage area. And they were they were driving around. They weren't supposed to be down there. It was like uh, owned by the United States Army. But it was kind of abandoned, and so they were driving down there, making out or something, and they they heard this noise, and there were like these igloos where they stored explosives, and they so they saw something that looked like a muscular man with with uh, wings on it, uh-huh. and he had glowing red eyes, and they got in the car and they they drove back to town, and they said. <clears throat> This creature flew alongside the car about the same rate that they were driving down the highway. And they said they couldn't believe anybody could fly that fast. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, there was a girl in this car, and she went home, and she said she went up in her, she went home and she got in her, uh, went upstairs to her bedroom, and she said uh, there was like a, uh, a landing on uh, outside of her bedroom window, and she said, she said she looked out the window and the, the Mothman was sitting outside on the landing. Wow. That's... And uh, so anyway, I guess uh, they were, the kids were afraid to go to the sheriff's department because they didn't think they'd be believed, and they weren't supposed to be in this uh, explosives area. But anyway, they, I guess they organized a search party, and they said they thought, they thought there really was something in this uh, TNT area, but they... You know they couldn't they couldn't find it, but then there were reports of this this man with these wings all over town and stuff. Right. And oh, the other thing is that there was a there was a chief named Cornstalk in the, in this West Virginia town. Right. And his Indian tribe was massacred by the white people, and he uh, made a curse on on the townspeople and their descendants. He said. He said, "Another two hundred years, something's going to happen." And slowly, the moth, the appearance of the Mothman, is like uh, a sign of pending uh, doom. Yeah. Oh, okay. And there was okay. There was a coincidence where the bridge fell down, and supposedly people see the Mothman before the bridge fell down. Right. That's the that's the that's the uh, legend uh, that that we've heard. All right, John. Thanks for your call. Uh, Walter uh, Jacobson. He's our main man. Uh, Walter's perspective. We play it every Sunday night here on WGN on the show, and it's sponsored by HearingHealthCenter.com. Here's Walter. It is hard in Chicago to open a newspaper and not see a story about Eddie Johnson. 
The Chicago police chief, who was fired by Mayor Lightfoot after being found by police asleep in his car, he had been driving home from dinner with enough drink to cause him to stop and doze off. Because he was their chief, the cops on the street treated Eddie Johnson, oh, you might say, kind of tenderly. They did not order him out of his car or walk to a line or take a breathalyzer. That was eight months ago, and the incident still is front page. It's been investigated by the city inspector general, who issued a report to the mayor, who is now resisting demands by the media to tell us what's in the report. What was said that night by the cops and the chief? She says the freedom of information law requires her to make the report public only if it involves a death or a felony crime, which she says it does not. Eddie Johnson was a very good chief of police highly respected and well-liked by the rank and file and by many city officials and Chicago residents. What the media wants is another uncomfortable, embarrassing, splashy story about Chief Johnson getting a break from police. I'm in the media, a reporter who strongly believes in freedom of information. About Eddie Johnson, I'm thinking, enough already. His 31 years of a praiseworthy record and contribution to the city have earned him and now entitled him to some peace and quiet. I say, leave him alone. Get off his back. I'm Walter Jacobson, and that's my perspective. For more, visit WTNRadio.com or download the WTN Radio app. Is this solo Phil Collins or is it Genesis? It's Genesis. Okay. I always forget. I know it's I know it's Phil Collins singing. Yeah. Genesis. Uh 312-981-7200. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Our good friend Rod Pyle is going to join us, author, journalist, editor in chief at Ad Astra magazine. You can check out rodpilebooks.com. Lots of space stuff to talk about with Rod. And if you want to jump in, it's 312-981-7200. We're talking about UFOs. Maybe we can talk to Rod about that, too. So there's a, an actual organization that's uh, hired by the government to study the UFOs. And we've been talking about weird things in the sky. 312-981-7200. Here's Evelyn on WGN. Hi, Evelyn. Hello. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, so what I try to say very briefly, um, uh, very many, lately, very many uh, sightings and referrals for this topic, UFO program, uh, UFO <laughs> ufologist. It's extremely interesting topic to me, and it's very, very scary. Uh, so what I try to say um uh, again, thank you so much for this topic, first of all, and for the opportunity to express opinion about it. So uh, my question is to you, Mr. Nick, and uh, maybe to listeners who listen right now uh, this extraordinary interesting program. Why, if people, some witnesses, or even they claim to be abducted, why 
Nobody believed them. Why? Why right away they refer so these people crazy? Especially, especially uh, when uh, you know, like different people in different areas, they describe exactly the same, uh, the same pictures what they was witnesses of. This is my question, and uh, I'm pretty skeptical, but you know, I'm close to the not to be skeptical, but you know. Uh, also, uh, I speak uh, Slavic language, I speak Russian, I speak Polish, in uh, a couple of other languages. And uh, if you can go on YouTube, it's so many citing uh, with translation uh, to English language about citing UFO. Um, was very interesting and with pictures and uh, some people not afraid was not afraid to take pictures and then uh, that's what I try to say and also they claim uh, these people who I'm talking about they claim uh, this UFO uh, uh, creatures they're pretty peaceful they just observing and photographing our planet very slowly because if you Notice that they're going very slow motion, and uh, uh, they're pretty peaceful. They try to maybe help us. Uh, I don't. My opinion. I don't think so. They very uh, aggressive. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to say positive. And thank you so much again. And I would All like right. to know your opinion. Thank okay, you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a lot to that's a lot to digest right there. But I mean, it's people are skeptical. That's the deal. When, when you know you you were asking if. Uh, you know why you know people are ridiculed or or things like that i mean whenever your normal world is challenged the first kind of reaction that you have is to not believe it um so all right here's a uh, trucker rich hey rich hey good evening nick first yeah. of all happy belated birthday oh. i didn't get a chance to call in because well, i was off you. work and sleeping at that time for thank a change you. thank you yes and in world war Two, my dad was a uh a ball gunner, and he said they used to see stuff like that. They'd call them poo fighters because they'd be dancing around them. Even the fighter pilots saw them dancing around their fighter planes and stuff, but nobody could explain it. And you know, they just called them poo fighters. And what about that? What was it? Five or six years ago, where they had that UFO over the top of uh, the control tower at O'Hare. Um, how long ago was that? That was. That was back in 06. Okay. That was, a, that was a big one back in November of 2006. What was the, what was the story behind that one? Yeah, they, there was a bunch of people that saw it, even in the control tower. It was supposedly huge and hovering over, hovering over, you know, the control tower at O'Hare. Mm-hmm. Approximately. It, yeah. co- uh, it was approximately it, it cleared, 417. Yeah. Stuff when it came down. Uh, why, why don't I remember this? <laughs> I don't know. That's it's weird. I remember being this being reported on because I would have been in middle school at the time. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, November seventh, two thousand six, around four fifteen p.m. Total of twelve United Airlines employees and um, one other witness saw reported a UFO sighting. Uh, the FAA declined to investigate the incident because the UFO was not seen on radar and was they called it a weather phenomenon. A weather phenomenon. Oh. Okay, because it did, because it didn't show up on radar. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, that is. That's pretty weird. That's pretty weird. All right, Rich. Thanks, buddy. All right. Yep. Have a good Take evening, care. sir. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. I don't know. 
It's so weird we're talking about this, and I just, I watched Close Encounters mm-hmm. <laughs> over the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That might be my favorite Spielberg movie. Well, it's a very hopeful movie, too, in terms of if we're trying to project what it might be like to uh, speak to yeah. an extraterrestrial species. Well, and also it's it's one of the many movies one of the many movies that Spielberg has made about a man who is just like basically leaving his family and his responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> who he, needs responsibility? I mean, he's he's done that. That's like a theme of his. You know, he's got that Peter Pan complex thing going. Basically, Richard Drivers just leaves to hang out with aliens. <laughs> I'd consider it. I'd consider well, it. Well, they, 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 you know. Roy Scheider leaves to go out on a boat with two other guys. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a, I mean, he made, he made a hook, which is the, a literal, well, I mean, to be fair, that's him reckoning with the fact that he's got Peter Pan's syndrome. Oh, there's no question about it. Peter Pan learning that it's time to have responsibilities. Well, yeah, but, um, I just find it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing that, uh, that, you know, it's a theme that pops up in a lot of Spielberg movies. But uh, I've never had an encounter with anything weird in the sky. I know lots of people who do and have. And obviously, we just spoke with a bunch of folks. And it's big enough to have a task force put together. So, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Did you like the X-Files? I was a huge fan. Yeah, me too. Huge fan of the X Files. Although the one uh and engineer Krista has has agreed with me on this. The one about the the fam the weird family, like the kind of like Hills Have Eyes one yeah. going on. I can't watch that one again. It just it was too much. There was one episode that involved cockroaches. And at one point, it looks like there's a cockroach crawling across. They, they made it look like a cockroach was crawling across your, your television screen. I remember completely freaking out. I'd say that that show definitely renewed an interest in the 90s in the uh, in the study of the paranormal and other things. Well, it, it was, I, I, thought the, I thought the X-Files was great. It was brilliant. It I, was thought brilliant. It was, I thought it was great. And I don't care. I like both movies. You know, everybody hated the second one. I loved it. Yeah, it was... was, uh, I want to believe. I want to believe, yeah. I thought it was good. I'll give you the first one. First one's great. First one's awesome. But... uh, I like the second one. I'll tell you, the the reboot of The X-Files was not good. That was very disappointing. So... All right. Well, uh, let's uh, get to the news, and then Rod Pyle is going to join us, and we're going to talk all things space. You saw me standing alone Without a dream in my heart Without a love of my own Blue moon All right. Hello. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, and we are here until 4. Uh, it is Monday, so that means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. That's coming up later on. 
Uh, we got some Carson comedy classics. Uh, you can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV. And we always like to play back some comedy, either some stand-up or a sketch or an interview. Well, we got some stand-up from uh, Franklin Ajay from 1988. Um, and uh, we are also going to talk about outdated words that age you, uh, instantly age you. Uh, some expensive mistakes as well. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Uh, our guest right now. Our good friend Rod Pyle, author, journalist, editor in chief at Ad Astra Magazine. You can check out rodpylebooks.com. If you have any uh, space related questions or comments, give us a call 312 981 7200. Let's welcome Rod to the show. Hello, Rod. Good morning. How are you? All right. How are you, sir? I'm okay. I saw Greyhound today. That was a thrill. Yeah, I watched it over the weekend. Did you? I did. I liked it very much. It was just nonstop, and they didn't spend a lot of time on character development other than Tom Hanks, did they? <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't. No, it was, it was it was it was a solid movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, yeah. I was really impressed. Yeah. All right, uh, Rod, tell everybody about yourself. Well, I'm old enough to have been born about the same time the space age was, and uh, grew up during those heady years. It's funny. Somebody asked me a day about what's the difference between a writer my age, I'm 63, and somebody who might be in their 30s and 40s or 40s or writing about space and related fields? I thought about it for a minute, and I thought if you're talking about the space program anyway and the space race, there's a lot of younger people writing about it, and they're very excited, and they're good writers. They're very good writers in a lot of cases. But, you know, you do get a different perspective, as I'm sure you remember, having known some of that stuff that happened before the space station and before the, the later part of the shuttle program. So it was really a blessing to have been around to have seen that and to have experienced that. So I grew up being totally enamored of that. So other people were following sports, baseball and football and later basketball. Um, I was an astronaut groupie, although I wasn't following them around, but I was following what they did. Right. And then I got into documentary filmmaking and uh, different kinds of television production. And then finally in the mid 2000s started writing space books and I've written 17 and I'm working on number 18 now. And I also edit, as you usually point out at Astro magazine for the national space society, which yeah. is great fun. And Astro is a, is a, is a terrific magazine. Uh, tell me a little bit more about it. So it's been around since the 80s in one form or another, and it's won a bunch of awards and so forth. And uh, back in, in those days, a lot of pro-space organizations had print magazines, but gradually, one by one, they've kind of winked out of existence. So I think at this point, it's just us and maybe one or two other groups. And it's about 64 pages. The nice thing about our magazine is because we're a nonprofit, we don't have much advertising in there, just three or four pages. So when you open it up, instead of having to flip past endless advertising and having all those little blowing cards fall out to ask you to subscribe, if you're getting it, you're already a member of the society. So it's all just content. So we try to have some historical content in every issue. We try to look forward to the big picture of space development and settling human beings out there. And just look at some of the various issues. You know, people will ask sometimes, well, what, what does space settlement mean? And that's one of the key tenets of the, of the NSS. And, yeah, it means putting people out in space colonies, either in, in some kind of orbit around Earth or elsewhere, and putting them on Mars and the moon. But it also means all the things you have to do to make that work, like figuring out, for example, how to deal with dust on the moon. There's no weather on the moon, and that dust is very fine-grained and very sharp-edged. 
And it just wreaks havoc with spacesuits and instrumentation and everything else you have to have to do this successfully. So there's, there's stories on things like that, too, that you might not think about normally. All right. And uh, at Astra uh, is the magazine. And uh, it's a terrific magazine, Rod. Thanks. And it's available online now, so you can get it on Amazon and whatever Apple's calling their their book magazine repository this month. <laughs> okay. I think it's Apple, Apple periodical, Apple magazines now. Is that what it's it is? It's the iTunes. I think so. Yeah. Oh, they okay. changed it again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got to keep it up. Got to keep up with this. So, but, you know, before uh, we had John, Rod, we were talking uh, UFOs. Yeah. And uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee confirms that the U.S. Navy has a UFO task force. Yeah, it costs money to run, apparently. Uh-huh. Well, tell me a little bit about uh-huh. that, if you know anything. Um, just that uh, Marco Rubio is sort of leading the charge because he's the head of the Intelligence Committee. And um, I think they, partly I think they want to know where the money's going. And partly, you know, the first conclusion that's easy to draw is, oh, he's a UFO junkie and he wants to know all about Roswell. And, of course, there are a lot of people who want to know about Roswell. Hell, I want to know about Roswell. I've never been there. Yeah. But, um, you know, if you look into it a little deeper, and it's not just analysts, but also people inside uh, the Beltway saying, well, what they think this is really about as much as anything is they want to know if, if there can be a unified structure within the military to look at unidentified aerial phenomena, which includes UFOs, and all UFO means is unidentified flying object. So I, I think at the core of this, probably more than wanting to know if we've been visited by aliens, is wanting to know what the threats are on our own planet. So, for instance, you and I talked before about the, the Tic Tac UFO reports and so forth back from the early 2000s with the Navy. And, um, you know, there's a, a fairly broad consensus about this, that it's a very good chance that these are some kind of drones from a foreign power. Now, one of the... The pushbacks on that has been, uh, I got some email after the last time I was on your show about this, that the observations of them show them moving impossibly fast and changing course impossibly quickly and altitudes impossibly quickly in ways that normal air-breathing craft couldn't do, but that's assuming that you take the observations verbatim. And, you know, pilots are as good as they are, human eye is notoriously not good at, at tracking distance and altitude and speeds. So uh, even even looking at the radar imagery, imagery, which is pretty low resolution, or I should say FLIR, because it was the specific kind, um, it, you know, it's hard to tell exactly what these things are doing. So applying traditional models to it hasn't been very successful, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're extraterrestrial in origin. So getting back to the original question, I think there's a concern in the military bandwidth, if you will, about the different branches of the of the military, of the armed forces, sharing data better about what they're seeing and right. seeing if it represents a domestic threat or not. Right. Okay. Uh, Rod, hang on, okay? Yes, sir. I want to talk more about this, too. Uh, Rod Pyle is with us, uh, author, journalist, editor-in-chief at Ad Astra Magazine. If you have any space-related questions or space concerns or any of that kind of stuff, 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. Nick DiGilio, and we will return.
right. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio here until uh, 4 a.m. Coming up, we've got some classic uh, comedy from uh, the Johnny Carson show, this morning featuring uh, Franklin Ajay. Outdated words that instantly age you. And my dad's going to call in and tell a joke. 312-981-7200. That's our number if you have a space question of some kind. Uh, Give us a call because our friend Rod Pyle is with us. Uh, Rod, welcome. Hey there. So, uh, the, the, what was the, uh, the date again, uh, Tom, that dates back to like the first recorded UFO it was like 16, what was it 60, was it like 16 something? That was, uh, 1639, March 1st, 1639, John Winthrop, the then governor of Massachusetts, the Commonwealth of wow. Massachusetts. Now, doesn't that seem like a long, long time ago? I mean, I, I was surprised when I heard that the first UFO uh, reported was in the 1600s. That's really interesting, actually. And of course, that was before there's any such thing as aircraft. So right. unless you buy into the whole swamp gas discussion, could have been a lot of things, I suppose. Yeah. Well, what was huh. the, the the swamp gas thing? Let's let's uh, explain that. As I understand it, it's it's uh, the idea that marshes. You know, there's a lot of organic decay in marshes of, of plants and so forth, and they they start forming methane. And that somehow that becomes that ignites, and you see these balls of flame that can last for a little while, depending on you know wind conditions and all that. I'd never seen anything like that. The weirdest thing I ever saw was a high tension line that had a it was uh, I guess it was arcing or shorting out. There was this big ball of blue electricity going down the wire, and then actually blew off the wire and kind of looked like it would hovered. I guess that's a plasma at that point, mm. and that was pretty fascinating. But that's as close as I've gotten. And you know, I've been reading about UFOs since I was about six or eight. And, and you know, I, I'm like anybody else; I want to see one, but I just haven't seen a good sighting yet. I've seen a lot of things. I mean, I've spent I don't know how many hundreds of nights out under the stars. About the most amazing thing I've I seen two things that were jaw dropping. One was a huge green. It's called a bolide. It's just a very large meteor that went from one horizon to the other and exploded about halfway overhead. Um, it didn't hear anything because it was way up high. Yeah. And the other thing was there was a meteor shower in, I think, April called the Leonids that's famous for every, I think, 33 years uh, being extraordinarily heavy. And just by sheer luck, as a kid in Pasadena, California, I was out looking at the stars that night. And I knew there was supposed to be a meteor shower. And when they say shower, you know, it's maybe one every minute or two. It's usually not a big deal. Well, this just opened up like God was pouring a salt shaker in the sky. Wow. It was terrifying, but really spectacular. And I feel very, very blessed to have seen it. Wow. That's amazing. So that you can imagine in 1650, oh, right? Yeah. If you saw that, what would you think? I mean, you'd have to ascribe something supernatural to it because we didn't know what they were. Yeah. I, w- when we were talking about that earlier, I was like, man, it, there was, there was, so there's nothing else in the sky. And, you know, right. at that point. Well, and that's why, you know, when you, when you talk about, they've written about Mars a lot. You know, we start off by talking about, you know, how the ancient world looked at Mars and why they thought it was so different and all that. I mean, one thing is it's red, so it was the color of blood and fire, and so they ascribed all kinds of death and mischief and mayhem to it. But also, it, it made these weird motions of the sky, not, not that you'd see them in any given night, but if you tracked it from night to night, to the point at which, because of the, the way the orbits intersect or, or uh, visually intersect with Earth, it goes retrograde. It starts going backwards for a right. while, and then goes back the other direction 
And, of course, back then you didn't have sodium lamps every 10 feet lighting up your neighborhood. So when you looked up at the sky, you saw everything, which is kind of what I think you're saying. And it's real different. I mean, I don't know that many people anymore that have seen a truly dark night sky where you see that I was actually out with with one small group uh, out in the desert. And even in California desert, by the time you get away from one city, you're getting near another one. So it's not dark, dark, dark even there. You have to go out in the ocean if you're in true darkness. And the kids got scared because they saw this white stripe in the sky. And so what's that? And I said, that's the Milky Way. That's the edge of our galaxy. And they're like, wow, I didn't know you could see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've told you this before, Rod, when I was on, um, when I was on a trip to, uh, to Ireland um, my ex and I were in the kind of we were coming we were walking back from a pub in the kind of middle of nowhere, and uh, it's the first time I ever looked up and saw because there was no there was no lights there was nothing we were walking down a road and it was the first time I actually looked up and saw what this what this what this nighttime sky really looks like. Yeah, you know because I've lived I've lived in the city my entire life and here we are in the middle of nowhere walking down this dirt road back to our you know back to our hotel. Uh, and I, I just couldn't believe it. I just looked up and I was like, oh, my God. Uh, so this is what it really looks like. Yeah, it's really something. And sadly, it's going away decade by decade. And there's actually a group called the it's Dark Sky Association or something that's trying to campaign to have you know fewer lights or at least shielded lights in, in certain areas so that there will be more darkness so that people can actually go do amateur astronomy and see the beauty in the night sky. But then right as that's actually started to pick up speed, then you get Elon Musk trying to put 10, 15, 20, 30,000 satellites up. So everywhere you look, there's going to be, be a little white moving dot. So it'll be really pretty, but it's going to make it hard to look at stars. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's too bad. I, you know, I, I, I hope people, you know, would be able to at least you know a couple of times just see what the what the sky actually looks like not what you think it looks like yeah. living in the city because it's really different it's really different it, it is and that's why i mean it's a shame because a lot of planetariums are sort of going under because they're not a popular thing to do anymore because it's, it's a pretty slow attention span kind of activity but if you've never been to one a good planetarium is a, is an almost perfect replication of the night sky and it's it's pretty breathtaking when it's done right well we have a great planetarium here uh, yeah, you do. Uh, in you in do. Chicago, the Adler is just amazing. I, I I can't tell you the number of times I've been there when I was a kid. I haven't been there in a long time, but I can't tell you the number of times I've been there when I was a kid. Um, and it's just beautiful. It really is. It is, and and you see them. I'm still in touch with the people up at Griffith Observatory in L.A. where I used to work, and they have a I think a 600 seat planetarium up there. And they, when I was working there in the 80s, we had an old Zeiss projector that was just this masterpiece of German clockwork. Everything was mechanical. And it was sensational. You know, we could go in there after hours and set it wherever we wanted, whatever night sky, whatever year. Um, now, of course, everything's being modernized, so a lot of these are going electronic. And uh, they, they still look great, but it's much more entertainment-oriented than it used to be. And, you know, that's just that's progress, and yeah. you've got to be okay with that. But there is that that moment where you first would dim the lights or the, the planetarium operator would dim the lights and it would go down from the blue horizon lights to, to pure dark. And, and if they're good at it, they kind of do it in increments. And each time they go a little further, you get a little gasp from the audience. Yeah. That's why they dump them entirely and they go, <gasps> yep. I say, yeah, that's what it's supposed to look like, you guys. Yeah, it's beautiful. It really is. It uh, is. They, they used to have a, uh, right around, I don't know if they still do this at the Adler, uh, but uh, at Christmas they would have uh, they would have a special about the mm-hmm. the the star 
Um, right. And it was beautiful. We used to go every year. It, it, it wasn't really uh, Christmas time until we went to the Adler. Yeah, and it's usually there's usually something about what was the star of Bethlehem. Yeah. You know, was it a star? Was that a comet? Were they looking at Venus? Was it a UFO? What was it? And uh, I don't think anybody's ever answered the question to complete satisfaction, but it makes for a good show every single year. Oh yeah, no, it's it was one of my favorite things to do at Christmas time. I haven't gone in, I'm gonna, I haven't gone in a long, long time. Um, well, now you got to go. Yeah, I do. As soon as everything reopens, yeah. Well, there is that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that little so, problem. Yeah. Now you mentioned the Griffin, uh, the Griffith uh, uh, Observatory. Is that's the that's that's the one that's featured in Rebel Without a Cause, right? It is, and it's also uh, featured in, what's the name of that show? Rocky Jones Space Ranger. So we all remember it from Rogue oh, Without a Cause, of course. Wait a minute. I, I'll get what? there. And there's a statue of, 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 you know, James Dean down front. But there was a, this awful show made in the 50s. I shouldn't say awful. It was about as good as anything else science fiction of that era called Rocky Jones Space Ranger. <laughs> in the opening of the show, he drives up in an old Jaguar XK120 with the top down. And doesn't open the door. He leaps over the door like like James Bond would ten years later, and runs up the observatory stairs because that was Space Command headquarters or something like that. Wow! What? Yeah, I don't even this this I don't even recall the name of that show. Yeah, I know it's it's about as obscure as Radar Men from the Moon. <laughs> Did you ever see that? No. Oh, so that was made in the. Late 30s, early 40s, I think, it was a Republic Studios serial. So, oh, you know, okay. They half hour or whatever. Yeah. And they ran to the theaters on Saturday matinees. And, you know, it was Buck Rogers-type spaceships flying around, making a sound like an airplane with 19 propellers and smoke and sparks coming out the back and dropping instantly to the stage floor. Right. So it wasn't very convincing. And then you can see the wires and all that. Um and the thing that got me was, you know, it's supposed to be invading moon men, right? There's a few variants on it. But that was the general theme, the guys on the moon. But everybody, except for the, the grand poobah who, you know, had a funny costume and weird things over his eyes, for some reason, all the henchmen were just guys in suits with fedoras and snub-nosed 38s. And I remember <laughs> the kid watching this thinking... Where the ray guns? This even isn't, isn't even as good as Lost in Space, which I caught the other night. By the way, I hadn't watched broadcast TV in a long time, but where I am now, I'm I'm actually wired up so I can get over the air TV. And by gosh, they're playing Lost in Space at two in the morning where it belongs. Yeah, <laughs> it was every bit as awful as I remembered. Yeah, I grew up watching that show, so I have a I have a soft spot for it, uh, and for and for uh, and for uh, Doctor Smith. <laughs> what was wrong with Dr. Smith? I mean, there are a whole bunch, you know, as an adult, you look at him and you think, okay, I've got some questions about this guy's yeah. proclivities. But, uh, yeah, he was a little over the top. And apparently he was a very serious actor. And even in recent years when he was interviewed about it, he'd talk about it in a very thespian sort of way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 but yeah. Just look at him and think, yeah, that didn't look like you were taking all that seriously. Well, you know, it's, it's, it, it's interesting how that character changed, because at the beginning, yeah. he, was, he was supposed to be just like this straight-up villain. And then he just said, oh, no, not me, take the boy. And then it just became... Yeah, oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> it became really ridiculous. Now, now, wait a minute. Now, Tom, you found a little uh, more info on... Well, yeah, I've, Rod mentioned this about the henchmen just being guys in fedoras with snub nose. And this is on the show... This is on the show, uh, Rocky Jones Radar Space Radar Men from the Moon. Okay. Uh, 
Well, this this is a little bit about stuff. Rocky Jones, Space Ranger. This is oh, an actual okay. the actual paragraph here. Uh, Although many strange worlds were visited, <laughs> the alien characters usually spoke American English and always appeared right. as normal humans, albeit in bizarre costumes and environments. The script writers did not appear to know the difference between planets, moons, stars, and constellations, so that the specific <laughs> locations Rocky and his sidekicks visit are generally unknown to astronomers. <laughs> that sounds about right. Well. And then, you know, and that was that was early on. Then you get to Lost in Space when we did know better because the space age was in full flower then. But you still got everybody's got two legs and two arms and two yeah. nostrils and two eyes. They may look like a giant styrofoam carrot, but they're still bipedal. And it got to the point, I think I told you before, I, I, I took a directing class from a guy who had directed a number of episodes of Lost in Space years ago. Really nice guy. And after class, I got to talking to him once, and I said, I have to ask you a question. He said, shoot. And I said, lost in space. And he kind of smirked and looked around like he hoped nobody was overhearing us. And I said, <laughs> you're a great director. Why? And he said, it's very simple, my boy. Alimony. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> and I said, tell me the truth, though. It really looked like you were dumpster diving to get those costumes together and that the scripts were kind of written around whatever you could find. And he said, that was it. Erwin Allen was this really tight-fisted producer from that era. Did some good shows, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Lost yeah, in yeah. Space, yeah. Time Tunnel, you know. But they got towards the later seasons of Lost in Space. The budgets were so small. They were squeezing every dime out of it they could. They would literally, apparently, go around the studio. She would have been cast off. So that's why one week you'd see aliens that looked pretty good. Then the next week, I think the low point I remember was aliens that had sheer nylon stockings pulled over their faces and white sequin top hats and capes because some vampire movie had thrown away a bunch of stuff and they found it and said, okay, write it in. It's fantastic. Oh All right, Rod, hang on, okay? You bet. Rod Pyle is with us, uh, author, journalist, editor-in-chief at Ad Astra Magazine. If you want to jump in, 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. More Space Talk with Rod coming up here on 720 WGN. Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN. Um, during the break, I was just uh, scrolling around on the internet. Uh, Kelly Preston passed away. Um, she's only 57. Uh, she had a few years battle of uh, breast cancer, and she uh, and she passed away. So uh, condolences to the whole Travolta family. Uh, I, I love Kelly Preston. I, I just thought she was. I thought she was great, and it's uh, really sad to hear that she passed away. She's only fifty-seven years old. So sorry to bring down the mood, but um, yeah. So uh, let's get back to our talk about space. If you want to jump in, it's three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. 312-981-7200. We're talking with Rod Pyle. He's our good buddy. Author, journalist, editor-in-chief at Ad Astra Magazine. You can check out rodpilebooks.com for more information. And hello, Rod. Hi there. Hey. So uh, let's talk about a day in space. Yeah, thank you. Um, this is something that uh, was put together over the last couple of months. So the National Space Society does a yearly conference every year called the International Space Development Conference, and we invite big thinkers from yesterday, today, and tomorrow to come talk about just about everything. There's, I think, uh, 
30 tracks with multiple speakers on each. So there's tons of stuff. It lasts about four days. Wow. It's usually about 1,000, 1,500 people. And we move around to various cities. But, of course, this year we had to cancel like everybody else. And we're a volunteer organization, so there's a lot of what should we do about it. So finally, a small group has got together and said, okay, let's do something virtual. But we didn't want to do a Zoom call for all the reasons that we've discussed before, yeah. like Zoom bombing and so forth. Yeah. So we decided to give it the full court press as much as we could. So I sent out production kits to a bunch of people that were our keynote speakers, about uh, six, six new ones. And then we had some stuff that we had already recorded before COVID hit. So a couple lights, microphones, so forth, just to really try to bring it up a notch. So on July 16th at uh, 8 o'clock Pacific and 11 o'clock Eastern time, we'll be starting a seven-hour day. And we've got speakers ranging from, we've got uh, Buzz Aldrin doing an exclusive interview with our president, Jeff Notkin, who used to be on the show Meteorite Men. Uh, he was the host there. Mm-hmm. Um, interviewing Buzz, and that that was really fun. So I've edited all this stuff, so I know it way better than I want to because I've spent you know a couple of days with each one of them. <laughs> but, right, right. Um, so that uh, we've got another astronaut panel with Al Worden, Fred, Fred Hayes of Apollo 13, uh, Walt Cunningham for Apollo 7, and Jerry Griffin, who was a flight director at NASA during the Apollo years, and that was recorded about a year ago when Al Worden was still alive. So that they have a lot of great stories to tell. We've got an astrophysicist, Sarah Seeger, talking about exoplanet discoveries. We've got Alan Stern, who ran the New Horizons probe out to Pluto and beyond, talking about that mission. Um, we've got a gentleman who runs another conference that I participate in called CI Live out in Iowa, who's also one of the officers of the NSS, named Anthony Poston, who's talking about the secrets of achieving anything great. A space doctor talking about space medicine named Shania Panda, Shauna Pandya. And Steve, one of my favorites, Steve Jurvetson, who most people probably won't know the name, but he's a billionaire investor who put tons of money in a new space. He, he invested in SpaceX, and they were about to, to go under in 2008. Uh, just a brilliant guy. I think I told you about it before. He got through Stanford Engineering in two and a half years by basically gaming the admissions computer system. Jeez. He's that smart. And sitting with him for an hour in a room interviewing him, it's like all the air gets sucked out and the atmosphere becomes ele- kind of electric. And he's just so excited about everything he's telling you. And he's got these incredible visions about the future of what he thinks is going to happen in the next 20 years. So that's really exciting. And then finally, myself and Rob Manning, who's the chief engineer at JPL and was the chief engineer on all the Mars rover missions, I have kind of a smackdown session where I tell him, you know, when I was growing up, Mars was this really cool place with aliens and oceans and you know, we thought it was kind of like another Earth, and then you guys at JPL came along and ruined everything. <laughs> and then he builds the argument, because I'm a romantic at heart, right? He builds the argument, well, yes, but truth is better than fiction and supposition. And now that we've found the history of water there, we're building back your verdant Mars and blah, blah, blah. So it, it's great fun, and we had a big man hug at the end that agreed that we needed both sides of the story. Oh, so go. that'll be going on that day, and we will be on space.com. Okay. On their website and their YouTube channel. And we'll also be on the NSS YouTube channel and on uh, NSS Facebook Live. And on Facebook Live, we'll be as many of the speakers as we can get in. We'll be answering questions in the text box off to the side. So if you want it to be interactive, go on Facebook Live. Wow, there you go. And that's a day in space on July 16th. Yes, sir. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds really, really and I, great. And I expect a really pithy question from you about the Mothman or something, okay? <laughs> Yeah, I'll make sure to I'll make sure to to disrupt the uh, the whole thing with a moth sighting. 
Um, here's Big Ed on WGN. Go ahead, Ed. Hi, Nick. Not coming in? Yes. Okay, hey, Rob. I just want to ask you a question. Sure. What happened to Skylab and Soyuz? Why didn't they uh, work out? Well, Soyuz is the, is the Russian spacecraft, so I think you're thinking about uh, MIR, which was their big space station before the International Space Station. So I'll take them one at a time. So Skylab was the first American space station, launched in 1973, had some problems, first crew went up and fixed it, and it was up there till 79, I think. The idea was it was supposed to stay up long enough, and the shuttle was supposed to happen soon enough to go up and tow it to a higher orbit and keep it around for a few more years. Cause we could have gotten another 10 years out of Skylab. It was a very, a very capable uh, space station and big. It was still to this day, it was the largest single volume compressed space in, in uh, ever put up in orbit. Yeah. It was 33 by uh, 80 feet or something of that nature. So it was big problem was the shuttle got delayed and there was a lot of solar activity happening in the late 70s, much more activity happening from the sun than normal for that part of its cycle, the solar cycle of activity. And it caused the Earth's atmosphere to actually inflate, move out a little bit, which caused just enough drag. The Skylab came down sooner than expected. Yeah. Now, at that point, they didn't have any maneuvering control over it, so it was just a question of when it was going to come and where it was going to go. So I, I remember, I remember Rod, I remember vividly people freaking out about where it Skylab yeah. was going to fall. I mean, it was a big deal. People were like, oh, my God, where's it going to fall? Oh, my God. Because it was a big machine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was a very big machine. So that was that one. Murr um, was uh, controlled the orbit, as I recall, and that was just, it had lived out its useful life, and they had had a couple of fires on board, and the machinery was getting very old, so it was just time to deorbit it and bring it down. Yeah. All right, Ed. Thanks for the call, buddy. Thanks, Ed. All right. Take care. Uh yeah, Skylab. Jeez, we had a uh, we have a um um a local uh, radio personality here named Steve Dahl. Yeah, and uh, when Skylab was the the big thing, he did a parody song to uh, <laughs> uh uh to Shattered by the Rolling Stones, and he called it Skylab, and it was all about freaking out about where Skylab was going to land, and it ended up in, in a, it ended up landing in Australia, correct? Parts of it did, yeah, and and I mean, you probably remember that people were selling hats with bullseye on the oh, top yeah. of them, all that kind of stuff. No, yeah, and, yeah, you know, because you got to take these things tongue in cheek as possible. You can't control them. And then a couple, just a couple of years ago, that first Chinese space station, Tiangong One, same thing. I was much smaller; it wasn't much bigger than a spacecraft, but they lost contact with that and couldn't bring it down in a guided fashion, so it re-entered over the ocean. Thank God. Yeah, and broke up into a few pieces, but yeah, there, there's. You know, there's some responsibility, and actually, legally now, the legal framework says if you launched it, it's your problem. So you've got to figure out what to do with it, and that applies to anything from microsat up to a space station. So we're trying to be more careful about these things. Yeah, boy, I just but yeah, but it was such a so 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 crazy. It was like the summer of '79, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, it was nuts. I just uh, it was nuts. It was like at the it was it was the top of the news story every hour, every night. It, yeah. was, it was like COVID is now. Yeah, yeah. It was just so crazy, and nobody was. Everybody was like, "Where's it going to fall? Is it going to fall on our? You know, can it fall on our house? You know." <laughs> well, think of the insurance claims. Yeah. Jeez, no, that was weird. Yeah, Skylab brings back a lot of memories right there. Right. Yeah. All right, Rod, hang on, okay. You bet.
All right, Rod Piles with us, uh, author, journalist, editor in chief at Ad Astra Magazine. Lots more space stories to talk about, and if you want to jump in, it's three one two nine eight one seven two hundred with your space comments or space questions. Rod's here to answer. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred on WGN. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. It's a Monday morning. That means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Um, We're going to talk about outdated words that instantly age you, uh, some expensive mistakes, and uh, my dad's going to call in and tell a joke. 312-981-7200 is... uh, The number. Rod Pyle is with us, and the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. And Rod is our space expert, editor-in-chief at Ad Astra Magazine. Hello, Rod. Hello. All right. We have uh, another caller here. This is Hef on WGN. Go ahead, Hef. Yes, uh, Rod. uh, uh, I was wondering if any of the uh, astronauts or cosmonauts... um, uh, who were in the uh, space station that joined the 200-mile high club. <laughs> and, and and was it all official, or was it just fun in space? That's a good question. It's been asked a lot, and there is no official recorded act as of such. Uh-huh. Doesn't mean it hasn't happened, because it is a co-ed facility. Right. But, you know, even though the space station is fairly large, the crew quarters are small. And you're separated in most cases by cloth or kind of a flimsy separator. So noise carries pretty far. So you'd have to find a real dark remote corner and be quick. And when you think about the the, the physics of it, you know, things bounce away from each other in space. So without getting too graphic here, you can imagine without some bungee cords, it might be kind of a challenge. <laughs> that said, one of the early... Uh, places to line up for a ticket when Virgin Galactic first announced that they were going to be doing suborbital rides that would give you six or seven minutes of weightlessness was Vivid Video in Los Angeles, Uh my hometown, the premier purveyor of porn, and uh, they wanted to do some some space sex. But uh, (laughs) as far as I know, they were not sold tickets, and it never happened. (laughs) This is ridiculous. Ridiculous. All right, thanks for the call. Someday. Thanks for the call, Hef. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. I never even thought of that. That, that, that never even occurred to me. Nick, you got to think more. <laughs> yeah, I guess I do. The well, two hundred you know, mile and, high. And, club. But it brings up another interesting question, which is if you can carry that off in zero g, and this is something that's being studied fairly heavily, can you then? gestate a baby and have a healthy child in in no gravity or low gravity we just don't know because there's no way to simulate it on earth yeah. so that's something they're gonna have to figure out probably with lab mice and, and other mammals you know before people start doing that kind of thing but if we're ever going to go out there and stay there um that's going to have to be a part of it because people got to reproduce and yeah. uh it's it's a big concern so it's an interesting question when you come right down to it, it. is actually i mean i never it didn't even occur to me but yeah i mean i guess you know i mean that's got to happen if you're going to spend a, a significant amount of time up there you know 
Yeah, I mean, a few extra arms and legs could be very handy to get things done quicker, but, you know, you want to know what you're getting to in advance, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, interesting question. I didn't I didn't know that was going to come up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to come Good up luck. this morning. So uh, <laughs> Rod Pyle is with us, author, journalist, editor-in-chief at Ad Astra Magazine. Check out rodpilebooks.com. Um, hey, Rod, when you were doing special effects on movies, wh- what kind of technology did you have back then? Um, it was all analog so uh, we the only computers we had we had a computerized editing system and we had a thing called the harry was the name of a uh, very expensive um effects machine which you could do digital painting with so that's what we used on on uh, d space nine to paint in phaser hits and force fields and all that yeah but as far as the actual ships go you had you built miniatures i, I used to call them models and they'd yell at me because they're not models they're miniatures and you'd mount them on a big metal stick, and you'd run the camera past them to make them look like they were flying past you. And then you had to do that, I don't know, six, seven, eight times. One pass for the lights on the spaceship, and one pass for the marker lights, and one pass for the lighting on the hull and all that. And then one of us would go into the post-production bay and layer all that stuff together to give you the final effect, which is why uh, the effect shots on older Star Trek were so short, because they're really expensive, and that's why you spent a lot of time cutting to the captain bouncing around in the seat looking like he's in the middle of a fight because combat scenes cost a lot to make in those days mm. wow that but was, it was fun yeah i it bet was really fun yeah i bet it was uh well here's an interesting uh call here's warren on wgn warren go ahead hi there uh or you brought back some memories for me i grew up in hollywood and uh, our house was in the Hollywood Hills. Right, you'll know where I'm talking. We were in uh, Beechwood Canyon, directly yeah. across from the observatory. So we saw that out of our kitchen win- or dining window every day. But what I called about was uh, I dated Rocky Jones, Space Ranger's daughter. <laughs> oh, no kidding! <laughs> when I was when I was in high school, we went to Hollywood High School uh, in the '60s. And his name was Stephen Crane. He was yeah. a great guy. And um, we went out for, for a while, and I'd bring her back, and we'd go in, and we'd t- I'd talk with her parents and her and everything. But he told a story about one day he was having a phone installed in his house back, you know, the old landline days. Yeah. And the, the uh, technician, the phone man, came in into the bedroom, and he, you know, kind of pushed the bedroom door closed a little bit to do his work, and he looked up and he said, "Now, what's that hanging from your bedroom door?" And Stephen Crane said, "Oh, that's my spacesuit. <laughs> he had brought home for some reason one of his uh, uh, pieces of wardrobe, and he was real dead serious with this telephone technician, and he said that guy could not get out of his house quick enough." <laughs> That is so funny. Now, did he really have a Jaguar XK120, or was that just? Oh, a I don't know. I, I don't know what kind of car they drove. They had a nice house, but uh, that was probably, uh, you know, for the movies. Yeah. driving up to the, yeah. to the Griffith Park wow. Observatory. One, uh, one other thing in that series, the spaceships, the rocket ships, took off vertically and they came back and landed vertically. Like yeah, uh, ages, if you remember yeah. that, mm-hmm. and they came down. I thought Elon, they should name the the uh, the space uh, patrol thing that we've got. <laughs> they ought to name the the soldiers the the uh, space rangers. Yeah, 
That's great. That, that was a great series, though, boy, because I was about, I don't know, 10. That was 52 to 54. So I was yeah. 9, 10, 11 when that was on. But dating his daughter was, I mean, it was just something kind of natural if somebody was in this, uh, the business out there. Yeah. But he had some stories, and that was the one that just stayed with me. I can just see this poor telephone guy. Yeah, that's hilarious. That is hilarious. That's, Warren, that's, that, is, that is great. Thank you so much for the call. Man, oh, sure. what are they on? Sure that show. Bye now. Bye. Thank you. God, oh, my Lord. I, I grew up, I don't know, 15 miles from Hollywood, and I never dated anybody in show business, <laughs> especially not an on-camera person. They, maybe maybe Warren's just particularly good-looking. That's yeah. probably it. Yeah. God, that's a, that's well, a, great, a story. great story. That's Isn't a great something? story. Yeah, that's great. You didn't think we'd be talking about this TV show, then. <laughs> I love all those old shows. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, you know, we were talking about Lost in Space. Did you see the reboot that they did on Netflix? Yeah, I, I saw about half of the first season, and I thought, okay, I get it. This is clever. This is modern. They're doing all the right things, but it just didn't grab me. What did you think? I felt the same way. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. I felt the same way. I thought it was interesting that they cast Parker Posey as Dr. Smith. Well, and having her as this megalomaniac, you know. But wants to do in everybody, so it kind of rounded out what what you were talking about with the the pilot of the original show and the first couple episodes. But Doctor Smith was a pretty convincing bad guy. I mean, he was evil, and it was fun to watch. Yeah. And then he got silly. Spark and Posey didn't, didn't get silly, but um, yeah, it just it felt a little heavy footed to me. I agree. I totally agree. And then there was the movie back in the nineties. Oh yeah. And uh, the, well, you, you wait a minute. You like the movie, Tom? I used to love watching that because I can't, remember I was just a kid. Came out. You're 19... still just a kid. I mean, yeah. Gary certain... Gary Oldman was Doctor Smith. Yeah, right? he was. Yeah. William Hurt was uh, oh, Professor Robinson. Right. Ro- is Mimi Rogers in it? Uh, she she so. is. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Heather Graham's in it. Uh, Jared Harris. Of all oh, people, God, I totally forgot about that. Matt LeBlanc. Oh, that's right, Matt LeBlanc. That, that's Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> There's a piece of casting for you. I can't. I, I Beautiful totally casting. Totally forgot that Matt Beautiful LeBlanc was casting. in that. Okay, Tom. How many times did you watch it? Oh God, I think we had the VHS tape, so <laughs> it was on a rotation of me as a kid. It was either The Lion King, Godzilla, <laughs> 1998, yeah. uh, Lost in Space, 1998. And, uh, God, probably Twister. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> the the Roland Emmerich Godzilla? Yeah, it's rules, man. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> wait, is that the one with all the little baby Godzillas? Yeah, yeah, in Madison Square Garden. Oh, oh it's a terrible got, movie. Wake got... me up when the popcorn's gone, man. <laughs> oh. Got Hank Azaria as uh, Animal, oh, yeah. the uh, the videographer. Mike, isn't uh, what's his name, Ferris Bueller in it? Yeah, Matthew Broderick. <laughs> Matthew Broderick is in it. Yeah, yeah, that's He's right. That's right. Who's the female lead? Oh my God, uh, she's kind of a no name. Um, I don't. She, I just. I remember hating it. That's the only thing. Oh, everybody I, hates. I, it. I remember it's, hating that movie. Uh, Maria, I think it's Maria Patillo. Yeah. Okay. But um, Jean Renault. Oh my God. As as the leader of a f- bunch of French Foreign Legion mercenaries. <laughs> Uh, Harry Shearer, Harry Shearer's in it. God. It's great stuff. Oh, Rod, is he now, nuts I, or I, what? I had a friend who was uh, living in Japan probably 25 years ago, and while he was there, they were filming, of course, another Godzilla movie, 
and the rubber costume was stolen from the set. Oh, which, no. I mean, nothing gets stolen in Japan. If you leave a camera sitting behind somewhere, you know, you go to a shrine and you leave and you forget your camera. This actually happened to me back in the 80s. I came back an hour later, and there were people staying there guarding it until I came back. I mean, it's that kind of country, you know? So this became a national news. The, I bet. The, the, the holy costume had been stolen, and they said, please return it, reward posted, no no questions asked, and all that. It was like the Lindbergh baby, you know? So it was this, this costume, <laughs> I thought. They take their Godzilla seriously. They and do. Did you like the one, maybe it was eight or ten years ago, where they do the high altitude? There's been a Godzilla film made since. Oh, 2014, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Did you like that one? I did. I like I, I like everything except for the Roland Emmerich. I'm a big Godzilla guy. So yeah, uh, yeah. Rod, hang on, okay? Okay. All right. Rod Pyle is with us. We got more space uh, stories to talk about. If you want to jump in, it's three one two nine eight one seven two hundred with any uh, space related question or uh, concept here. Rod Pyle, author, journalist, editor in chief at Ad Astra Magazine. Check out rodpilebooks.com. And again, 312 981 7200 for your space related questions. All right, it's time for the news. a few pounds tight pants points all her now she was a black haired beauty with big hello Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN we're live in the Skyline studio 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago we're here until 4 o'clock 4 o'clock we head over to uh, Bradley Place on the TV side of WGN get uh, some news and information from them and then at 5 o'clock it's the one and only Bob Surratt with your morning drive 312-981-7200 is the phone number. A little bit later on, we're going to be talking about outdated words that instantly age you, some expensive mistakes. Uh, my dad's going to call in and tell a joke. And we've got Classic Carson. Uh, you can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on uh, Antenna TV. And we like to play a little comedy uh, from uh, the uh, Johnny Carson show, whether it be a, uh, a sketch or some stand-up or an interview. Well, we've got some uh, classic stand-up from Franklin Ajay from 1988. A really terrific uh, comedian, Franklin Ajay, legendary guy. 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you would like to join us. Rod Pyle is our guest. He's an author, journalist, editor-in-chief of Ad Astra magazine. Rodpilebooks.com is the website. Hello, Rod. Hello. All right. We have another caller here. There's William on WGN. Go ahead, William. Yes, i like to find out why do they have running lights on the, on the Starship? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think that started with the original Trek. That's the first time I remember seeing them anyway. And, and if you look at the scale of it, those running lights would have been the size of an RV or larger. I mean, they're huge. <laughs> uh, I saw the original model from the first series in the Smithsonian about a year ago, and it's beautiful. It's a beautifully made model, but you're right. You look at it, you think, okay, there's a way out of scale, and why are they there anyway? I think it was just to go with the nautical theme and to make it look like other things from aviation at that time. And if you recall, you know, if, if like Nick and I are old enough to remember when that thing was on, the, when that show was on the air the first time, nobody had really made that kind of a starship before. Everything yeah. prior to that looked like rockets, and we didn't see anything more revolutionary than that until 2001 Space Odyssey in 1968. So I think it was kind of this... A bridge mentality, if you will, of, okay, let's not take people too far out of reality. Let's keep this kind of nautical 
in, in nature. But, uh, yeah, it was just a creative decision. In fact, uh, I think I've told you this before, Nick, on Battlestar Galactica, when they're getting ready to do the reboot on that, we were working on the, the pre-visualization stuff. My partner came back from a meeting with the producers, very dejected-looking one day, and I said, what? And he said, well, they're changing the design of the Galactica again. I said, okay, what are we supposed to do this time? He said, they want it to look like it was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright, which I actually thought was kind of interesting, but um, that, that got kicked to the curb pretty quickly. Oh, wow. I always thought, I always thought the classic um, Starship Enterprise was just one of the coolest-looking ships ever. I did too, although I have to say, and I'm thinking biased because I, I worked with the 1701A miniature, but I loved that one. It was a little 59 Cadillac for a lot of people's taste, but but I thought they really got it right with that one. Yeah. All right. Uh, William, thanks for the call. 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. Okay, um, let's talk about this story here. Uh, a House budget bill denies major increases for NASA to fund an ambitious moon program. What's going on here? Yeah, we're kind of waiting for this. So the Trump administration, as you know, wants a landing on the moon by 2024. And NASA said, great, we're all for it. We're going to need some money to do this right. So the administration was trying to stump for, I think, about $25 million. Uh, excuse me, billion with a B. For this year, and and to be fair, NASA's budget up until a couple of years ago was like seventeen, eighteen billion. So they've been getting some pretty healthy increases, which makes people in my line of work very happy to see that. Uh, but uh, yeah, they came back and said, "No, we're we're going to give you less than that." And the problem is, the cut is almost entirely on the human exploration side, and and the the bulk of it is for the lunar landers. So what that means is. Uh, they were hoping to scale up by 2023 to almost $30 billion. And if you do the conversions, that's about the same uh, in 2020 dollars as what they're spending on Apollo in the 60s. So it kind of makes sense. But um, with that cut, I think, and, and just to back up a step, NASA has already let contracts to three companies, Blue Origin, which is Jeff Bezos's company from Amazon, SpaceX, and a company called Dynetics to start designing human landers for the moon, human-rated landers for the moon. Um, so the first steps have already been taken, but as so often happens, we're kind of feeling a change in the wind here, and depending on who wins the election coming up, uh, this may or may not be good news for the program. So whatever you think of Trump, you know, he has been pro-space for whatever his reasons are, and uh, so this is kind of a, a, a blow to the system here because it probably means it's going to be pushed back. I don't think they'll cancel Artemis outright, which is the landing program, but it'll push it back at least a few years because you just a few years because you need money to do this. The advantage we have now, of course, is with Blue Origin and SpaceX in particular, they're both very rightly famous for putting their own money into the development of these things. So these are cooperative ventures as opposed to just being worked for hire like it was in the old days with the traditional aerospace contractors. But it's still expensive to, to design and operate and fly. And so this is going to be a major problem. Mm. Uh, is there yeah. is there any silver lining to this? Um. Forced efficiency, perhaps. <laughs> have to figure out. You know, one thing, and and this is just really off the cuff here because I don't see any any rationale for it on the side of of, of Blue and Blue Origin and SpaceX. But you know, there's a possibility that somebody like Musk might say, I, I, you know, I don't want to wait anymore. I was willing to do this on my own if I have to. I wanted to do it with NASA money, but I think I'll just keep pushing ahead. And he has been, he's been kind of bifurcated already because he's flying. 
cargo for years and now crew up to the space station on his smaller rockets. But as you know, he's still designing Starship with the other half of the company, more than half. And they're working double, triple ships, and they're working really hard to get that thing to fly. So if he's successful with the Starship, which is his larger than Saturn V two-stage uh, rocket that has a huge cargo capability, if he develops that on his own and the government can get a deal, then maybe they can press it in the service and move away from the SLS and the Orion capsule, because that is also a big expense, because those things have been dragging their feet for a decade now. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, um, is, does it does it seem lot does it seem doable to 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 get to the moon by twenty twenty four? Honestly, it would be really tough. I mean, we don't even have spacesuits designed yet that can do that. We don't have the Apollo suits around anymore, and they would obviously update that design. They have been updating that design, but in terms of a real EVA rated suit, something you can go out and do operations on the lunar surface for uh, days at a time with, which is what we want to do now because we don't want to dash and come home. We want to stay there. Um, that's years off and, and many hundreds of millions of dollars away. So that's just one example. I mean, long term life support, being able to land a heavy structure on the lunar surface uh, that you can live in for weeks or months or years at a time. And on top of all this, we're trying to go to the South Pole because that's where we're pretty sure the water ice is. So it takes more fuel and more work to get people down to the poles than it does mm. the equator. That was kind of the easy, low-hanging fruit. So right, right. it's going to be tough. Okay. In All either right. scenario. Okay. All right, Rod, hang on. You bet. Yeah. Rod Pyle is with us, uh, uh, author, journalist, editor-in-chief at Ad Astra Magazine. Uh, and uh, if you have a space-related question, we would love to hear from you at 312-981-7200. Someone new to talk to Oh yeah, alright I'm feeling kind of lonely too If you don't mind Can I sit down here beside Right. Nick DeGilio here on 720W Is that Dr. John? Dr. Hook Dr. Hook And the Medicine Show If it were Dr. John It'd probably sound a little like this Yeah I I knew it was a doctor (laughs) <laughs> Not Dr. Feelgood. Nope. Uh, it's Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, uh, live in the Skyline studio. We're here until 4. Coming up at 2.30, we got some uh, comedy from the classic Johnny Carson show. You can watch uh, the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV. Uh, we got some uh, great stand-up from 1988 with Franklin Ajay. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's Monday. Uh, right now we're talking with Rod Pyle, who is uh, author, journalist, and editor-in-chief at Ad Astra Magazine, rodpilebooks.com, if you want to check out his books. And if you have any questions uh, about space or anything like that, 312-981-7200. Hello, Rod. Hello. All right. So let's talk about this. Um, is this Roscosmo? Ros- Roscosmos. Roscosmos. Yeah. Is- or over there, I guess they say Roscosmos. Ah. They're going to send two tourists to the space station in uh, 2023, and one of them will will spacewalk? Yeah. Now, talk about an experience that could put your stomach up in your throat. So r- the Russians have actually been the only ones so far to fly tourists into space, and, and it's something they've done well. They work with a, an American company called Space Adventures. So they flew tourists up to, to Mir, 
And uh, the last tourist up to the ISS was 2009, I think. Uh, but, you know, they've got this quandary now, which is we're using SpaceX and we'll soon hopefully be using Boeing to ferry American astronauts up to the space station with our own spacecraft, which means we're no longer paying just over $80 million per seat to fly American astronauts to the Soyuz. So when you have a budget that is only about $2 billion, which is what the Russians have, I, I keep thinking, you know, I go back and book land in my head and I keep wanting to say Soviet Union. It's not Soviet Union, it's the Russians. When you've got a budget of $2 billion, 80 to $100 million at a crack adds up. So that's a big chunk of revenue they're losing every year. So it makes sense for them to crank up the tourist flights. And on the U.S. side, NASA finally said, okay, we're going to do that too. And uh, they're going to start doing that in fairly short order here. The question is, so you've got these people up there. They're taking up room. They're breathing air. They're eating food. How much do you train them? And what do you have to do while they're up there? Do you actually assign them tasks or are they joyriding? And that's something that has been a little different in, in the case of each person that's gone up so far. So that's just to go up and visit the interior. Now you're going out on a spacewalk, which is inherently many, many times more risky than just staying in the space station yeah, because yeah. you're just transferring from a dock spacecraft. So now you're, you're going into a full EVA suit. You're going to go outside. What is not clear to me yet is whether they're going to have any duties to perform, but these guys train, you know, before they go up to do a mission where they're going to do an EVA, you've seen the EVA, they go on for hours and hours, and they replace components and so forth. They train for months or years before then in the neutral buoyancy tank in Houston, which is that huge multi-million gallon tank they've got in these weighted spacesuits. So they've got at least some simulation of gravity and some feel for it that can be approaching. As you go into wrench, you, in space, you turn a wrench, and the wrench stays in one place, and you float in a circle, you know? Yeah, so there's yeah. a lot to know, and so we don't know yet who's going to train them or how extensive it's going to be. So it's exciting, but uh, it would scare me to death. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that just seems – I mean, we, how, do you, how do you train for a spacewalk? Well, that's what I was talking about, the neutral buoyancy tank. So yeah. It's a big, huge water pool. And it's about as close to simulations you can get. The only problem is, of course, water has resistance and a vacuum of space doesn't. But at least you've got a sense of weightlessness and, and, and uh, a generally convincing simulation of it. And that was what, uh, in the early days, back in the Gemini era, back in 65, 66, when they finally got spacewalking right, because they wanted to figure out, can we do work outside the spacecraft? And it wasn't until Gemini 12, the last flight, which Buzz Aldrin flew on, that they were able to actually get all the assignments done because he, largely on his own, as I understand it, just decided, okay, I've got to do this underwater training because clearly what we're doing isn't working. And um, that was what made all the difference in the world. So it's very effective, but it's also really expensive. Yeah, well, um, uh, you know, for the, for the tourists, what do, they, what do they have to pay? I don't know what they're paying the Russians. Uh, it was in the... 20 to 30 million dollar range before uh i know if you're going up on the nasa ride it's going to be 52 million dollars to the uh flight provider which would most likely be spacex for the next number of years and then i think it's 35 or 40 thousand dollars a day while you're on the station which is not very expensive if you're a really rich person right uh, it's just the getting there and getting back is pretty pricey Jeez. all right well we'll see yeah keep an eye on what's going on over there in russia you want to go uh, no. Okay. You want to think about that for a minute? <laughs> nope. Done. Oh, man. Um, all right. I, uh, we have to talk about this. There's a perfume that smells like outer space. 
Ode to Space. Ode to Space. I think so. So this chemist who's done some other fragrances has started a Kickstarter campaign, which has already raised $200,000. You saw the article. I was kind of stunned when I saw that. Yeah. Trying to reproduce what space might smell like. Now, of course, this raises the immediate question of uh, how do you smell in a vacuum? And what does the vacuum smell like? Well, there's nothing there except very tiny trace amounts of atmosphere. So it probably smells like the upper atmosphere, if anything. But regardless, he is, he is moving on undeterred. So apparently the scents that he is working with are gunpowder, smell, burnt steak, raspberries, and gum <laughs> with a little bit of sweat and uh, oil. So... The idea behind the gunpowder is that's what moon dust smells like. I'm not quite sure. I guess maybe they're simulating space if you're on the moon. Because the astronauts often said that's what what moon dust smelled like. As far as the other stuff, these are various accounts from astronauts that have been on the space station. But it's Chris Hadfield, who's the famous Canadian astronaut that played his guitar and sang while he was up at the space station. He made a very good point, which is what occurred to me when I was reading the story, which is what you're smelling is when you come back at the airlock, when you open up your helmet, right? So inside your helmet, you're smelling yourself, which after eight hours of hard work is probably kind of fragrant. And then you open the visor, and what you're smelling in the airlock, which has been exposed to a vacuum, is whatever's outgassing from the airlock. So it could be, uh, you know, a d- odor from the, the rubber seals. It could be an odor from various machine th- machine components that have been oiled and so forth. So it makes sense that it would smell more like machines than it would like something else but but that's the list of things that he's combining to do it and it's novel uh, one other person said that space the space smelled sulfurous to her okay which kind of puts sort of a dark spin on the whole thing but yeah all right now is this going to be is this going to be available in stores if that's is that the plan that's the plan wow because why not yeah, I guess. <laughs> it would make more sense to me to... to yeah, what I'd like to try is making a, a, a men's cologne out of Venus. Out of Venus? Yeah, because Venus is really an incredibly toxic place with acid rain and a really nasty atmosphere full of methane and other awful things that you can't breathe at 900 degrees Fahrenheit. So you could make this stuff with uh, with various perfume scents, and then an acid base so it burned your skin when you put it on so it felt like you were standing at 900 degrees. <laughs> Somehow I don't think I'm going to do well on Kickstarter, but it's just a thought. Yeah, I don't think that that's... I don't know if that's going to work out. Yeah. yeah. Good idea. It's, yeah, I, yeah it's just, just spitballing. I have lots of bad ideas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so Ode to Space? Ode to Space. Ode to Space. Uh, the perfume that smells like... behind the ear will do you. That's yeah. it. Uh, the the Kickstarter campaign has over four thousand six hundred uh, backers, yeah, and almost two hundred thousand it, dollars. It, it's it's astonishing. And the interesting thing about Kickstarter, if you ever considered doing a campaign on there, is depending on the kind of project you're doing, you have to do a lot of fulfillment of tchotchkes and gifts and gimmies and all oh, the stuff right. that you give everybody for the money right. for the money they're putting in. And quite often, when you run the dollars out plus kickstarter's overhead and everything you're not left with that much but i think in this case he's going to do pretty well yeah it sounds like it i mean frankly i'd rather just burn a steak and rub a little fat behind each temple and you know you're 80 percent of the way there but uh, i guess this is doing it the right way uh do we have a time frame on when this is going to be released didn't see it no okay are you are you anxious uh no 
Okay. <laughs> Ode to space. Just curious, yeah. The perfume that smells like outer space. Yeah. All right. I want a perfume that smells like cosmonauts. <laughs> you could call it swarthy. The single, the single names work best, and you know, they're just swarthy. Swarthy is it's one of my. That's actually one of my favorite names. One of my favorite words. Isn't it a great word? Oh, swarthy! It's, it's, it's just yeah. the best. It's the best. Have All you right, ever so been called swarthy? I've never been. <laughs> Never been called swarthy. I'm pretty much the opposite of swarthy. I can I can tell. I was you called stately once, and it was not a compliment. I realized stately. Yeah. Well, who called you stately? Uh, somebody who I think was trying in a not very concealed way to make fun of my slightly wide aspect. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> you think of houses when you think stately, and I thought, oh, I look like a. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, uh, Ode to Space. Uh, you're looking, yeah. looking forward to that perfume. All right. There's, there's, your, there's a new Mother's Day gift coming out right there. Hey, do we have a second to yeah. talk about something uh, that was we, on the list? Let's take, a qu- let's take a quick break, okay, Rod? Okay. And we'll sure. jump right back to what you want to talk about. Uh, Rod Pyle is with us. Uh, rodpilebooks.com, author, journalist, editor-in-chief of Ad Astra Magazine. If you have any space-related questions or comments, it's 312-981-7200. And uh, we'll jump back into the conversation after this. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio here until 4. Um, we are going to uh, be talking about um, outdated words that instantly age you, some expensive mistakes. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke later on. And we've got some Carson Comedy Classic with Franklin Ajay stand-up from 1988. Right now, we are chatting with our good friend Rod Pyle, who is an author, journalist, editor-in-chief at Ad Astra Magazine. You can check out rodpilebooks.com. If you have any space-related questions, give us a uh, give us a call three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, Rod, you wanted to say you wanted to you wanted to uh, say something, right? Yeah, I want to talk about the comet Neowise for a second because it's been in the news. Okay, so this uh, is something that that the average person can go look for. I've tried twice, but I'm down in San Diego right now where there's a fair amount of city light, so I have not been successful yet. But uh, the best nights, they're saying, are July 11th, 12th, and 13th. So that's coming right up. And uh, if you go out about an hour before sunrise, which is perfect for you, and look to the northeast, and if you, get, if you can get on your, uh, on your smartphone one of those constellation apps that you know, superpose the constellations over the direction you're looking, you're looking for the constellation Auriga, which is A-U-R-I-G-A. And there will be this what looks like a fairly bright star, but if it's very dark or you have a pair of binoculars, you'll be able to see this long tail extended behind it. And it's this, this comet called Comet Neowise, which is swinging around the sun right now, or has swung around the sun, I should say. And um, that's the material, because comets are basically ice with some rock, but, but mostly ice. Because you've seen the movies, right? So you know this already. They can be blown up with dynamite. And um, this is the, the ice being vaporized and streaming off in this long tail. And then between the 14th and 19th, apparently, it will be visible just after sunset. 
Oh, okay. And this is the best one since about 1998, and we probably won't see another one like this for years in terms of just something you can go out and you don't have to know exactly where to look and just go, oh, look, there's a comet right there. Oh, so cool. Exciting. Yeah. All right, very cool. Get some, somebody uh, get out there and take a look in the sky. Um, how, how often do cool things happen in the sky that we that we should see? Well, it kind of depends on what you classify as cool. So every year we have a dozen or more small meteor showers, which are the Earth and the Earth's orbit is going past an old trail of a defunct comet. And they're basically kind of spread out gravel banks. And as that stuff enters the atmosphere, you see some meteors. Most of them are pretty small, but in the summer and the winter, almost six months apart, they're the Perseids and the Orionids, and the, the name just means what constellation they appear to come from. And uh, those are generally two of the best ones. And you can see a meteor every minute or so. It helps to go somewhere dark, but you can even do it from within the city. Most of them are pretty small. They just look like a little, about that fast, little, little streak of white light. But occasionally you'll get a bigger rock coming in near the size of a marble or a golf ball, and it'll actually burn for a while and make a pretty spectacular show. And sometimes they explode because they've got little gas pockets in them or irregularities and they actually blow up while they're coming in so you can get a pretty good view of it so that's every month or two there'll be some kind of meteor shower happening other than that it kind of depends on what turns you on you know we get lunar eclipses a couple times a year we got solar eclipses uh, good ones anyway maybe a couple times a decade depending on how far you're willing to travel we got one coming up and i think it's 2024 which is going to be going through your neck of the woods and um if you've never seen a total solar eclipse, that is one of those stand still and be transformed moments. I've only seen one, but it was unbelievable because you're looking at this ever-diminishing sun, well, through solar glasses, hopefully, so you don't burn out your retinas. Right. And then the next thing you know, it hits totality, and everything gets very quiet. The temperature drops. The animals start freaking out around you because they think, wait, how did it become nighttime so soon? Right, right, right. You know, the crickets start chirping and all that. But the whole sky kind of takes on this almost kind of silvery aspect and it's really quite an amazing one of the most amazing natural things i've ever seen yeah yeah i've i've uh, I've, I've witnessed that it's pretty amazing and the other thing i'd say is if you've got a pair of binoculars a small telescope i personally i never get tired of looking at the moon because it's so close and large enough that you really feel like you're exploring the surface from here you know with mars even with a big telescope you get kind of a fuzzy red ball but with the moon you you can really see the especially at the at the right phase you can see the shadows being cast by mountains and crater rims and so forth and really just get an incredible sort of if you will walking tour of the moon in your mind even with just a pair of binoculars is all it takes you know uh, i i've never really asked you this i don't think i've ever asked you this before rod do you do you recommend certain telescopes you know, I haven't kept up with it in the last few years. There's a lot; they're a lot cheaper than they were when you and I were young. When you were dropping, you know, twelve hundred dollars for a decent eight-inch telescope, because um, there's so much stuff coming in from China, and the lenses are much easier to make now, and so forth. Celestron is always a good bet. Uh, they've been around for about fifty, forty, fifty years, and they make very good telescopes. But you know, anything with a Decent mount. What you don't want is something that just has an up-down, side-to-side, or what we call alpha-azimuth mount. You want an equatorial mount. Because with the traditional mounts, if it doesn't have a, a computerized drive on it, you have to keep nudging it up and sideways and up and sideways to track things because the rotation of the Earth. And depending on what latitude you're at, it has to be set for that at an angle. So what they call an equatorial mount, which you can look up on Amazon Telescope Equatorial Mount, will automatically track things. And then if it's got a computer drive on it, which you can get for just a few hundred dollars nowadays, the whole package telescope with a computerized drive, 
you just punch in the code of what you want to see. And if you've got it aligned to North properly, it goes zip, zip, and there you are looking at the Andromeda Galaxy. So they really have come a long way. Wow. Wow. So, That's I mean, I, I guess I didn't even realize that they were computerized now. Yeah. And, and I first saw that, and I, you know, being kind of a, an old school astronomer from when I was younger, I'm like, that's cheating. And I thought, wait a minute, that's really nice because you used to have to have a, a, a book called The Ephemeris, and you looked it up. You'd look up what you wanted to see, you'd look up the date and your latitude and try and figure out, you know, the right coordinates. And you'd look at these little tiny things called setting circles with tiny, impossible to read numbers with a red flashlight. So they didn't read your night vision. Then you had to set it and look through the spotter scope and hope you were kind of in the right quadrant and all that. Nowadays, you just put in the digits and boom, you're there. And, you know, on a, on a cool summer evening, nothing better. Wow. Okay. We've come a long way, huh? By a telescope. <laughs> uh, Tom, you ever have a telescope? Yeah, but I never really knew how to use it. I had I, I I had this dream of being a scientist when I was young after watching the movie Flubber. <laughs> after Flubber? <what>? Flubber? <laughs> yeah. With Robin the Williams? Flubber, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah, the one with Robin Williams. I was really yeah. into I was really into that and I was like I really want to oh, be cool. a scientist. Uh so I got one of those fun little kits that's like a uh, it was a microscope but it had a screen on it so um it was easier for like a kid to see. Yeah, because I was quite young and I had a telescope, but I don't think I ever really set it up right, um, so I couldn't really see anything out of it. But I had it there, and I would try every once in a while to look at something. And <laughs> it was didn't... it was there, just there for show, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's what you have when you finally are rich enough to get that beach house. You always have exactly. to have a telescope on the window. Exactly. Yeah, you know, Nick. You know what Tom never did have though. I'll bet. Uh. that cool chemistry set we had as kids, where they would well. give you powdered magnesium and yep. other stuff that would burn really well. Yep. We've, we've talked about this before, Rod, about how yeah. uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing mind, yeah. It's amazing that people around our age are, are alive. That still have their fingers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because it's just, it's, it's a, and, and you know, sometimes, Tom, you just, you, you're like, that's no, not real. You're making this up. No. <laughs> well, there, I think uh, maybe it was our pal Trucker Rich maybe mentioned, or someone mentioned that, at one point, they had stuff that may have been even radioactive, like low level, low levels of radiation or things radium. that were ra- they had yeah, radium. radium. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, why would you ever put that in something for children? They might, they might just eat it. Oh, listen, kids just eat stuff. I, right? Mercury. It's it's ama- oh, yeah, God. mercury. I mean, it's ama- it's amazing the 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 kind of the kind of stuff that we had when we were kids. It's it's insane. I was cleaning my garage a few months ago, and I found the, the the set inside is gone. But I found the folding metal box from my first Gilbert chemistry set, <laughs> and it has this young, very white reddish looking kid with a red sweater vest and a bow tie on paint, you know, printed on the front of it with a couple of test tubes, looking very serious. And I thought, I don't remember ever looking like that. I was just trying to make stuff blow blow up and burn. Yeah. <laughs> Those were always the first chemicals you used up. You didn't care about all that other stuff. But yep. the things that burn and make a big exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. They, uh, every every everybody our, our age, you know, around our age or something. You're a little older than I am, uh, Rod. But uh, hey, don't rub it in. We yeah. had the, we had the chemistry set. We we yeah. had the chemistry set and a wood burning kit. Yes, that was another one. Yeah. And there were a lot of toys that were really dangerous back then that either had heating elements or projectiles or that uh, that air gun that you could blow up people's eardrums with. Right. I mean, 
it, it is. You're right. It's amazing that we survived with all our our fingers and both eyes. Yeah, the the, the wood burning kit to me is a, it's it's a, it's astonishing. It's 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 basically a soldering iron. Yeah, like you're you're giving a seven year old a solder. I had a wood burning kit when I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you didn't even think about it. You didn't even think twice about it back in the late 60s, early 70s. It's like, yep, just give, give, the, kid a, give, give the kid a soldering iron. He's got to learn somehow. Yeah. Yeah, so you slowly run it along this panel of wood to make a picture. And it's, it's like, why don't you just give the kid a felt-tip pen? It looks the same. Yeah. But he's not going to set down the carpet and then have a three-alarm fire in 15 minutes, which yeah. is what almost happened to me. Oh, is that really, is that right? Yeah, I set it down, and I got distracted because I was a pretty heavily ADD kid and wandered off, and the next thing I came back, and there's this big hole melted in our brand-new plastic carpeting from the 60s, and I thought, oh, that's going to smart with my that's parents. That's not see good. That's so I started cutting good. fibers from other parts of the carpet and started trying to glue them into the spot <laughs> so it wouldn't show. No. It wasn't successful. I was going to no. say, how'd that work out for you, Rod? It didn't work out well. It was yeah. like the time we broke the window and tried to glue it back together. It just didn't work. <laughs> I, I had a very understanding older sister that was uh, my, my partner in crime for these yeah. things. Well, yeah. At least you had a partner in crime. I'm an only yeah. I'm an only child, so all the crimes were done by you and exactly. you alone. No accomplices. <laughs> Nobody else got blamed. Nobody else could be blamed. It's like, hey, you're the only kid here. <laughs> That's true. There's nobody to point at. There's it. nobody. No. Of that. Can't you can't. That's oh, it, man. man. You get blamed for everything. <laughs> so does that mean you're like uber accountable as an adult? No. Okay, just checking. <laughs> <laughs> I figured I had that one now. Tom's Tom's losing it in there. You're laughing a little too hard, <laughs> yeah, pal. Sorry, no. <clears throat> Pardon. He's enjoying this more than he really you're, should. You're laughing a little too hard. <laughs> okay, uh, Rod, hang on because we got to talk about some uh, dino killing, ice spewing, earth destroying asteroids. <laughs> okay. All right, hold on, Rod. Rod Pyle is with us. If you want to jump in, if you have a question uh, or a comment concerning space, 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. Always great to have Rod Pyle on. Check out rodpilebooks.com. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to be talking about outdated words that instantly age you. Classic Carson clip from uh, Franklin Ajay and uh, some stand-up there. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke. And our phone lines are open at 312-981-7200. And the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Rod Pyle is with us, author, journalist, editor-in-chief at Ad Astra Magazine. Check out rodpilebooks.com. Hello, Rod. Yes, sir. All right. Let's talk about some of these uh, insane asteroids, many of which I can't pronounce. You have, well, I know which one you're talking about in particular. I've been struggling that one for years. So, yes, we'll call this this segment Nick's Asteroid Lust. <laughs> yeah. So where do you want to start? Uh, well, let's start with um, the Tunguska Impact Asteroid. Yeah. So Tunguska Event, as they call it, was 1908, and this was in Siberia. And it's an area of about 830 square miles that was just wiped out. Jeez. Millions of trees were destroyed. Um, it was kind of, it wasn't a crater, but it was just, it looked like a blast radius. And there were not many people there then. So as far as we know, there were no deaths or maybe just a handful of uh, what I suppose they would have called peasants in the day. 
but it was this enormous either impact or explosion. So it's been theorized as everything from a comet to a meteor to a, a miniature black hole. The most convincing, I mean, the explanations, depending on who you ask, are all over the map, but uh, one of the more convincing ones is that it might have been either an airburst, you know, meteor that came in and then exploded overhead and took out this big chunk of territory or even a glancing blow by something that uh, entered the atmosphere and then bounced off and left, but, but left this big shockwave behind. But uh, one theory says the meteor could have been as big as 330 feet in diameter that wow. exploded overhead, which would have resulted in an explosion of somewhere between 3 and 30 megatons, which is big. Wow. Yeah, that's big. Oh. All right. What about the Behold the Dino Killer? There's something along those lines. C-H-I-X-L-U-B. Right. Because if you're going to name it, name it something weird, right? Right. So that uh, was a an asteroid, we think, somewhere between 70 and 50 miles wide. That's a pretty big range. It hit in the Yucatan Peninsula about 66 million years ago, which is, as you point out, what ended the reign of the dinosaurs. Um Whichever size it was, it was probably big enough to cause a global tsunami and, of course, horrible atmospheric disturbance, which would have poisoned a, a lot of things uh, just by changing the atmospheric balance. And then, of course, all the darkness, um, which would destroy crops and things that are not crops, sorry, but the, the plants and fauna, that the, the flora that these things need to eat. So you have this kind of nuclear winter. And the crater is just under 100 miles in diameter. And you can see it from orbit. It's really clear. It's this big ring that's mostly underwater now. And, um, yeah, and that's what let the tree shrews climb down out of the branches and become us. Because if something hadn't taken the dinosaurs out, we'd probably, you know, they'd be our masters. Wow. We'd be their pets or something. Okay. What about the 243 Ida? So this is an image by the Galileo Jupiter probe in 1994. And it's out uh, between Mars and Jupiter. Average diameter is about 20 miles, but it's kind of lumpy. You think most of the asteroids are very strange shapes. They're not spherical. They're, they look like, you know, melted potatoes or something. And uh, the only thing that really makes it remarkable, besides the fact that we were able to image it fairly close up, because Galileo happened to be passing by the neighborhood at the time, is it has a small new moon orbiting it called Dactyl. Oh. Which kind of sounds dinosaurian in itself, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next on the list is Vesta. Yeah. Which is one of the, the major asteroids out in the asteroid belt. So the asteroid belt is this big ring of junk, the preplanetary junk in between uh, Mars and Jupiter. And it, it almost looks like a, a huge ring of Saturn, but it, it girdles the whole solar system. Uh, so Vesta was uh, first imaged by the Dawn mission, DAWN, back in 2011. And it's a, it's a, a big sucker. It's 326 miles diameter. Whew. And even though it's, it, I mean, that's large, but it's not that large as, as planetoids go. But uh, it, what makes it kind of remarkable is it's got a mountain on it that's higher than Mount Everest. So when you scale that to the size of the asteroid, that's a really big mountain on wow. a really small asteroid. It kind of looks like something out of the Little Prince, you know? Yeah. And it's the second largest after Ceres which is the next in the list. So Ceres, because of its size and shape, qualifies as the only dwarf planet the size of Neptune. Of course, we all remember that Pluto was demoted to dwarf planet status right. amidst much controversy. The first asteroid discovered, it's the largest in the asteroid belt at 580 miles diameter. It's the only one that is a naturally occurring spherical object uh, of the asteroids, 
uh, formed by its own gravity because of its mass. So the Dawn probe uh, went in orbit around that in 2015, and that was really interesting because they discovered uh, salty ice brines on the surface. And they thought, what the heck is that doing out here in an asteroid? Because we always thought, you know, for a long time, the asteroids were just dry rocks. Right. They're, they're junk that hasn't that didn't form into a planet. Turns out it's got kind of a complex structure. There's, there's ice down below, and it's actually one of the first places we saw cryovolcanoes, which are volcanoes that erupt ice. Um, and they discovered organic molecules on the surface. So this is where the solar system starts getting really interesting because now you're seeing things that you can't really explain and you didn't expect there, like organic, you know, things that are predecessors to life potentially on the surface. And you start asking questions about how, how did that get there and what's the next step and how many steps between that and bacteria and mosquitoes and so forth. So, uh, yeah, it, it was a really interesting place. Okay. Uh, Next one is... Yeah, hold on, Rod. Uh, Rod hold on yeah. a second, because we got a couple calls okay. here. Here's Lena on oh, WGN. Okay. Go ahead, okay. Lena. Hey, Rod. I always enjoy it when you're on um, for these Thank segments. You. I have a question about the black hole, the miniature black hole that you brought up. I didn't understand that. So, it, apparently, and, and as Nick knows, I'm not an astrophysicist, so I'll do the best I can here, but black holes are scalable as natural phenomenon, at least in theory, and they're so uh, so incredibly dense, if you will. Uh, they're not a solid right. object, but I mean, they're this, this basically this pinprick in space. So right. if this black hole came down, I mean, it could be the size of, you know, a thumbtack head or much smaller potentially. But because of all the, the forces at work there, if that came into contact with a planet, it would be a very bad day. So that's how that, that theory runs. I don't think that's widely accepted. I think it's more widely accepted. It was probably either a big rock or a chunk of ice. Because well, that's, that's something why we see I'm a lot. Because, yeah, because it seems like, I mean, the density of a black hole is just like infinitesimal to most, I think, all of us. So it yeah, has to be yeah. so minuscule <laughs> to yeah, not have this planet. Like yeah, so I think that's, I just brought that up because it's one of the interesting outliers in, in, the, in those theories. But, you know, if you look at the far side of the moon versus the near side of the moon, you can see what a disaster zone the early solar system was because it's just beat to hell and back it's yeah. totally cratered every square inch of it and is as neil armstrong observed when he first got up there in 69 if you get down and look at the surface of the moon no matter how close you get you keep seeing smaller and smaller craters all the way down to micro pits so it's just been impacted for for billions of years and we we realized just how much junk there was flying around the solar system in those early days and so it's a lot of it's still out there which is why we got to watch out asteroids that come whizzing past the earth because some of them are dangerous okay uh lana thanks for the call here's james on wgn go ahead james yeah i've got a question why couldn't the old shuttle be used of course it has to be updated but you'd have to increase the tank by a third and put a couple more boosters onto it or you'd have to increase it that way you have fuel and you can refuel it while it's in space so the, the problem with the shuttle is it was kind of a closed-end design. It was supposed to be cheaper than Apollo. It was supposed to be reusable, fully reusable, and it was neither of those things. It ended up being more expensive than Saturn V to fly and only partially reusable. But that technology doesn't scale well. And this is something Elon Musk found out with the Falcon Heavy. He thought he was just going to slap together three Falcon rockets and have this big mega booster. Turns out it takes a lot more engineering than that. 
And finally, the shuttle was kind of operating at the extreme edge of the technology of the era as it was. So I think scaling it up the way you're talking about, well, it, it makes sense on the surface. You start getting into problems of scale when you do that, and things just don't work as well anymore. Uh, so it was kind of operating about as well as it could, given that design. And just to be fair to NASA, that wasn't their original design intention. That was the result of Nixon's incessant budget cutting in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm. And that's why they had this compromised design. Okay. All right, James, thanks for the call. All right, Rod, let's get uh, back uh, to the uh, to the to to a few more of these asteroids. Okay, which one do you want next? Uh, let's go right. to uh, 162173. Ryugu. Ryugu. So this was uh, an asteroid that was uh, explored by Japan's Hayabusa 2 probe. Uh, just last year, and not much remarkable about it, except that we've been to it, and it shot a projectile into the surface and watched what happened, and then also picked up a sample, so it's returning to Earth with a sample now, which is going to be interesting to see what these sort of primordial bits of the solar system are like, because this is really like walking into the biggest, it's the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, you're walking into the (laughs) Museum of the Solar System's early days. Uh, Bennu, is uh, the target of the OSIRIS-REx mission, which is a NASA ESA mission. It arrived in 2008. It's orbiting now. It's still investigating. It's going to do a sample return in 2023. Bennu has the distinction of being a potentially hazardous object for Earth. It's got a 1 in 2,700 chance of impacting between 2175 and 2199, so we don't care. But it's 1,600 feet wide, so that could be a big, nasty, five-mile-wide crater taking out a better part of a state by the time you account for all the shockwave effects and stuff. Here's my favorite, Didymus and Diddy Moon. Okay. So this is, uh, besides the fact that it's cute, so it's a fairly large asteroid with a fairly small moon going around it. What's remarkable about this one is that the target for the DART mission, the double asteroid redirection test mission, which is going up uh, either next year or the year after that, and they're going to basically slam a spacecraft into Diddy Moon, the smaller of the two, to see if they can deflect it, just to get a handle on if we do see uh, the dangerous asteroid coming our way in the future, you know, what kind of technology intervention can we do to try and keep it from hitting Earth? So the earlier you, you deflect them, obviously, the, the, the wider the vector that they'll miss Earth by. Well, then we have the uh, lyrically named 2019 OD, which is the size of a 747, what made it unique is that it passed Earth inside the diameter of the lunar orbit in 2018, mm. and that's somewhere between 200 and 400 feet in diameter, so that would be a bad afternoon. Uh, 99, uh, sorry, 99942 Apophis uh, will pass within 19,000 miles of Earth in 2029, so now you're really coming down close. Mm. Too close for comfort for a lot of people. Yeah, That's 1,100 feet across. So, again, a very large crater in the order, order of many miles and would wipe out something between the size of a county and a small state. And then, of course, you've got all that stuff blown up in the atmosphere. So besides the area that it actually causes all its destruction yeah. in, it also causes terrible atmospheric okay. effects hey, and crop loss and Rod, all that. Rod, we're out of time. Yes, sir. We're out of time. Okay. But uh, thank you, Rod Pyle, everybody. Uh, let's uh, go, go to the news. Right. 
Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. Here until 4 o'clock, as we are every weekday morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. And then at 4, we head over to uh, Bradley Place to the TV side of WGN, get some in, uh, news from them. And then at uh, 5 o'clock, it's the one and only Bob Surratt. Um, we're going to have some uh, stand-up comedy from uh, The Carson Show. You can watch The Johnny Carson Show every uh, every night on Antenna TV. And uh, we're going to have some classic stand-up from a great stand-up comedian, Franklin Najai, uh, from 1988. And my dad's going to call in and tell a joke, too. 312-981-7200 is the number, if you would like to join us. Uh, we got some words here that instantly age you. <laughs> this is fun, actually. Um, in the last quarterly update of the Oxford English Dictionary, more than 900 new words were added, and thus 900-plus ways to modernize your vocabulary. And with every new word that enters the cultural lexicon, another is bound to fall by the wayside. Yes, that's why you're unlikely to hear complaints about whippersnappers and courting practices among today's courting young whippersnappers. When was the last time you heard the word whippersnapper? Oh, boy. That's a good uh, one, though. Well, I that's that's got to have been aged you for the last, I don't know, like 30, 40 years. Oh, easily. That's always, that's always one of those words that you use to kind of make fun of older folks, the yeah. whippersnappers. So before you bewilder your younger friends and coworkers by trotting out a barrage of woefully antiquated terms, ditch these outdated words that will uh, that will instantly age. All right, here's the first one: classy. I don't know about that. Well, you may hear. This used by your younger friends in jest when someone's doing something particularly unsophisticated, referring to something as classy in earnest, only makes you sound older. Your grandmother may be wearing a string of pearls, uh, a, a, a string of pearls, a classy look, but rarely hear billionaires boasting about their classy 17th century villas in the south of France. And as any uh, a linguist would ag- will agree. There's virtually no word that makes you sound less sophisticated than this one. Classy. I I don't know. I feel like that's it would proceed. Oh, that's a real classy joint. But really, who calls a place a joint anymore? Well, well, no people refer. I, I yeah, they. Uh, I know a lot of people who refer to it as a joint. A joint. Yeah. When we were talking with. Uh, well, D- that's because Dave Gemelo is like the that's smoothest exactly dude right. on earth. Exactly right. He I mean, the man to, the, he refers to the Green listen, Mill is, is a joint. Well, yeah, because he owns the Green Mill, and yeah. it, that is a joint. If you want to call the Green Mill a joint, I think that's fair, especially when you own it and you're just that cool. Yeah, and you used to you saw it back in the rough days, the all or nothing days. Oh yeah, but I don't know. I can't. Uh, it seems like an attempt to go back to something like you know you might say. Like the word hepcat, you know. Hepcat? Yeah, real. The guy's a real hepcat. Yeah. Hepcat? <laughs> the hell is wrong with you? What's wrong? <laughs> hepcat? Yeah. Hepcat. 
You ain't, you ain't, did you, you just ain't get into a time machine? What? What? Are you, that's what we're talking about. It ages you. Hepcat. Hepcat. That's the only place you can use Hepcat is at the Green Mill. You can call someone a Hepcat and get away with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're not going to get away with it. Dave Gemmel would come out there and just smack me. Yep. Just be like, nah, get out of my joint. <laughs> get out of my <laughs> joint, of joint right joint. now. <laughs> All right, this one I totally agree with. These are words, by the way, if you if you want to jump in, it's 312-981-7200. What words make you nuts? There's a, there's a nice general general thing. What words make you nuts? And we're talking about words that instantly age you. This one, I totally agree with. You ready for this? Slacks. Totally agree. You may claim to put your slacks on one leg at a time, but for the vast majority of people who don't live in the United Kingdom, those garments with two legs that fasten at the waist are called pants. Slacks. There was a time, though, when I was a kid, they were they you you used the term slacks. Put on your slacks. Do you have your good Sunday slacks? All right, sweetie, you ready to get some new notebooks and protractors and slacks? I want blue jeans. You're getting slacks. <laughs> what was what was what was that? That's Family Guy. That's the one thing. For some reason, I always think of that specific clip whenever I hear the word slacks. I want blue jeans. Well, you're getting slacks. Who was yelling at him? Uh, Joe. So uh, Patrick Warburton. In the, in the wheelchair? Yeah. Why was he yelling at him? He was pretending to be Lois. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what words make you nuts? 312-981-7200. We are talking about words that instantly age you. And, yeah, slacks is definitely a leader on that uh, in that regard as far as words that shouldn't be used that will age you. Uh, what are your uh, least favorite words? 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. We'll get back to... Uh, Words that instantly age you. Coming up right here on 720 WGN. Hello. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio here until 4. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke a little bit later on because it's a jokey, jokey tin. And uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to get some classic uh, Carson. You can watch Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV. And we always play back a little comedy, whether it be a sketch or some stand-up or an interview. Franklin DeJai is going to be uh, doing some stand-up for us coming up. Uh, right now, though, we are talking about uh, words that instantly age you and some of the words that make you nuts. Do you have certain words that just make you nuts? 312-981-7200. There's Linda on WGN. Hi, Linda. Hey, good morning. Hi. You were talking about the joint. Well, yeah, they did call taverns joints or juke joints, yep. but a lot of them was, they didn't want to go back to the joint, which was jail. Right. And uh, another one that'll age you is Jamoke. 
Jamoke. Instead of calling someone a jackass yeah. or that, they call him a big jamoke. Right. I like that. And that's another word that you hardly ever hear anymore. Yep. You don't hear that one very often. Thanks, Linda. Uh, yeah. Hey, and uh, Jenny Carson, he used to have Toady Fields a lot. Do you have anything with her? Well, we'll have to look it up, I'm sure. Okay. Take care. Enjoying okay. it. Thank you. Jamoke. I like that word. You big jamoke. Yeah. You know, I think I think jail has some of the best nicknames. I think that's the best nicknames are for describing jail. Hooskow? Yeah, Hooskow. The bucket. The bucket? Yeah, the bucket. You never heard that one? No. Get tossed into the bucket. Slammer, caboose, castle, cooler, country club, crowbar hotel, farm, guardhouse. Crowbar hotel? Yeah. Con College. <laughs> Come on now. The Clink. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, the Rock, which is obviously Al- Alcatraz. The Pokey. Oh, yeah, that's the good. Pen, the Pen. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of words for uh, jail. Love it. You never heard Crowbar Hotel? No. <laughs> I've never heard Crowbar I've Hotel. Heard, I've, I've heard Crowbar Hotel. Never heard it. All right, how about the word dope? Whether you're referring to something that's cool or calling your friend who once admitted to smoking pot a dope fiend, using this word in virtually any context will immediately make you sound older than you actually are. The word dope. Dope fiend. (laughs) When's the last time you referred to anyone as a dope fiend? I mean, ironically, just a... Just to sound old. That's the thing. Is that a lot of these, you say them just to sound like, yeah, that kid's a dope fiend. Dope fiend. <laughs> How about this one? Stories. Stories. Yeah, as as opposed to TV shows. Oh, yeah. like Most uh, people watch TV shows. Your grandmother still subscribes to TV Guide so you can find out what time her stories are on. <laughs> I always thought that was specifically... Soap operas. Soaps, yeah. 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 Shut up. My stories are on. Yeah. I know people who still say that. I, I like that term. I do too. Because they just go on forever. I like calling, I like the soaps being called stories. It's just the problem is that there aren't that many soaps anymore. I know. How many of those old ones are gone now? A ton of them, including my favorite. The only the only soap opera that I ever really, really got hooked on. Was it Days of Our Lives? No. Uh, all My Children. All My Children. All My Children was good. Yeah. All My Children was pretty good. I was I was into General Hospital for a minute. Yeah, I never got into General Hospital. Get- All my children and um, what's what's the one where uh, um, Marlena was was possessed by the devil? <laughs> is that Days of Our Lives? Is it Days of Our Lives? I think okay. it is Days of Our Lives. But that's the only time uh, Scott Oaken and I used to watch All My Children every day when when we lived together. And uh, yeah, it was Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives was on before it. And we were up one time watching it, and the storyline, there was a storyline where one of the characters, Marlena. Yeah, Marlena Evans played by Deirdre Hall. Deirdre Hall, that's right. Gets possessed by the devil. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
and we started watching it. We started watching it every day at that point. It well, was I mean, unbelievably get, funny. When you have that kind of storyline you're working with. Yeah. Like, listen to this. Throughout the course of her existence on the program, Marlena Evans experienced what some consider to be the most outrageous circumstances of any character in soap opera history. <laughs> uh, these would include possession by the devil, a plummet from a 30-story window, which she survived, being used as a surrogate for genetically engineered babies. <laughs> Uh, a four-year coma, being mind-controlled to believe that she was a serial killer, and becoming pregnant late in life, and suffering a miscarriage, which caused her to have hysterical amnesia. Wow. Wow. Well... All brought to life by Deirdre Hall. I gotta say, the 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 possession subplot was pretty great, I, I, I have to say. I mean, it was so ridiculous, so completely ridiculous, that, of course... My friend and I got hooked on it, so we would get up a little bit earlier to watch that before all, uh, all my children. So uh, here's Ike on WGN. Go ahead, Ike. Hey, Nick. How's it going with you, man? All right. Okay, this is one more today I don't get, and uh, and I, I, I don't think I ever will get. Now, um, I, I have I have nothing against gay people at all. I'm not at all, but it sounds so homosexual. I, I, have, nothing, I have nothing against gay people at all. Uh, bromance. Uh-huh. Okay. All right, that's a little weird, Ike, but thanks for the call, buddy. <laughs> I love bromance. Um, I think it's hilarious. It's it's I feel like it wore out its welcome. Like it's oh, not the, yeah, no, not no, the no, concept, no. just it got so overused. Yeah. That's the thing. And I mean and the and the, just the word bro. Yeah, bro in general. I it's feel been, like it it got market corrected, but it'll come back around. Yeah, but I mean for a while there it was like, "Hey, bro." Everybody was a bro. I I mean, it it brings to mind a certain kind of guy. When you hear bro... I just think Point Break. No. Those guys were bros. They were cool. A bro bro is a negative connotation, in my my opinion. Well, those I'll say Point Break would be bra. Yeah. B-R-A-H, which is different. Yeah. They're surfers, bra. Surfers, bra. (laughs) Now you've got bra... B-R-U-H, bruh. What's that? Uh, it's generally more uh, generally more used by black folks, you know? I never even... Bruh? I, I, don't, I don't even... It's, there's so many variations. Yeah. Because the surfer dudes are brah. What about bro-ham? Bro-ham. Bro-siding, king of the brotion. Bro-ham. He's a yeah, pro- bro-ham. Pro- producer here at the... Andy Herman, right? Or no, 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 no. That was not Andy He Herman. was the count. Andy Herman was the count. <laughs> Broham was Mike. Mike yeah, Steven. Mike Steven. Broham. Broseph Lieberman. What? U.S. Senate. <laughs> uh, here's Chris on WGN. Hi, Chris. Hey, how you doing, Nick? All right, what's up? Hey, I couldn't help that y'all were talking about like days and Marlena being possessed back in the nineties. Yep. Uh you know what got me watching days? No. Uh, it was back in 2003, 2004, when Marlena was the Salem stalker serial killer. Killed, like, uh, nine or ten people. Because I remember when uh, she wore the Jason mask and it was revealed it was her, I was shocked. I had to keep on watching. And I don't even you know. I, the part when Doug Williams and her fight in the graveyard. No, I, the, only, the only time... Chris, the only time I ever watched the show was that brief time when she was possessed. That was that's the only time I've ever seen that an episode of the show. Oh yeah, because I remember 
She was sounding like a monster with them green eyes. Yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah, she was possessed yeah, by the like, devil. So I'll give you crazy girl. stuff. All right, thanks, Chris. Thank you. All right. Yeah, Marlene has been through some stuff there on days. <laughs> yeah, we just had it on, you know, earlier than all, uh, you know, than uh, all my children, and uh, we were like, "What's going on here? Is this woman actually possessed by the devil?" And there's a it, there's like a uh, a reverend character. Uh, I I want to say his name is John Black. On uh, on Days of Our Lives, I'm pretty sure there was his name was John Black, and he was one of the worst actors I've ever seen in my life. So, um, all right, how about the word scrub? Well, scrub. Maybe a term well known by kids who grew up listening to TLC in the 90s and the 2000s. Using this term to describe a less than desirable guy or girl makes you sound like you're stuck in the past. Wow. Okay. Hey, uh, can you do a little search for me? Yes. Can you search uh, Days of Our Lives, John Black? He was, I believe, he was a, a, a priest or a, or a, he was a man. I think he was a man in the cloth, and was one of the worst actors I've ever I've ever seen in my life. He was so bad, especially during the the whole possession subplot, because you know he's a priest. He's like he he was playing around like an exorcist. But uh, was it, it? Did you find anything, John? Yeah, Black? well, I've got John Black from Days of Our Lives, yeah. uh, played by. Uh, Drake Hoggiston, does that ring a bell? I don't know. I just remember him being terrible. That's the only thing. That's the only thing I remember. Um, he, let's see. So, character of John Black, who establishes the super couple pairing of John and Marlena due to John's affair with uh, Roman's wife. Oh, oh my God! What is this? It's a soap opera. This is so. <laughs> Get this. John Black was modeled after Robert Ludlum's super spy, Jason Bourne. What? <laughs> How is that even possible? With some elements of Ian Fleming's James Bond and of the immortal Bruce Lee. What? <laughs> That's not even remotely accurate. I don't know. Come on, man. I don't know. I always forget the Days of Our Lives also takes place in Salem, Illinois. Is it Illinois? Yeah, that's what that's what this is saying. This is what this. I mean, I knew it takes place in. I knew it takes place in Salem. I didn't. I didn't know. I think it's Salem, Illinois. Okay. Very strange. All right. All right. Listen. Let's uh, let's take a break here. When we come back, we got some uh, comedy from Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV, and uh, we've got some uh, classic Franklin Ajay. Uh, that we're going to be playing back right after this. Fifteen thousand men flooding Poplar Creek with their tears. That's what it always takes me back to. Seriously, men embracing, crying after Steely Dan got back together and played Deacon Blues. Oh, it was so good.
Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and we are live in the Skyline studio. We're going to get back to our conversation about words that instantly age you or words that uh, make you nuts. 312-981-7200. So every um, weekday morning right around this time after 2.30, we like to play back some classic Johnny Carson, whether it be some stand-up or a sketch or an interview. Well, we've got uh, one of the best stand-ups ever, a legend, who's been on the show a a few times. Uh, From 1988, Franklin Ajay. Um, He is a a terrific stand-up, and he he always killed on The Tonight Show. Franklin Ajay, let's hear him. All right. How are you all tonight? Good. You know, like like a lot of people, I've been thinking a lot about uh, romance and... You know, love is either a game or, or war, and sometimes it's both, you know. Uh, but it depends on your attitude. So, like, I've been dating with a real adventuresome attitude, just, you know, having, having fun. I got cologne conscious again. You know, I went out, I uh, hadn't had any new cologne. So I said, hey, I went to the store. I said, what you got, Kat? I said, well, you got some, some chaps. I said, what's that? Well, you can smell like the Old West. <laughs> uh, I said, yeah, that's definitely one of the most fragrant periods in our history. A lot of great odors came out of there. What you got? Well, we got unwashed buttock is very popular. (laughs) That's okay, man. That's okay. That's okay. I like the way that that bottle looks there, man. I like that. What's that? Well, that's some Old Spice, $1.99. Cool, cool. I got a date tonight. I don't want to be making a lot of decisions. He said, well, look, why don't you buy the big bottle so it can last all night? We got got a five-gallon jug for $2.99. You know? So... I met this woman, you know, she was an interesting woman. She, uh, she used to brush her teeth with baking soda. All right, that was it. No, no toothpaste, just baking soda. And her teeth looked good, you know. She'd come over to my house and say, look, look, look. I'd say, yeah, they look pretty good. Baking soda? Uh-huh. Hey, why don't you go sit in my refrigerator for about a half hour? <laughs> yeah. And she was a lot of fun, you know. She was a lot of fun. I used to have a lot of fun with her. I've had bad dates. We all have those, right? And there's a bad date, man. Oh, five. The thing about a bad date is five minutes into the date, you, you know it's bad, right? But you, you continue all the way through with the date instead of, like, following that gut instinct right at that moment and just backing the car up and turning to the person and say, go back in the house. Yeah. Well, that was the date. Up to that tree and back was the date. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm eccentric. <laughs> One thing I have noticed is, is, is women really keep their apartments really nice. Uh, you know, even a sloppy woman is neat by male standards. And, and what cracks me up is they're always very defensive uh, about the way their place looks. Like when you come to pick them up, you know, you're, you're stunned. God, man, this, whoa, you know, this is... And it's an excuse the way the place looks. You know, I just got home from work and I haven't had time to straighten it up. And you say... Well, well uh, what's out of uh, work? You know, she said, well, there's some, some dust on the stereo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw that dust when I came in. <laughs> but you get some points because you admitted it. <laughs> Trying to get the, get the upper hand a little bit, you know. Ah, uh, Yeah. But, you know, she was serious about that dust, man. Because, you know, men can't see dust. I've never seen dust, you know. I don't even know where to look for dust. 
You know, but she was serious. She came over my house, man. Made me feel like I lived with the Adams family. <laughs> was all agitated. I said, what's wrong? What's, what's wrong? She said, well, you know, this, this dust is disgusting. I said, well, you know, you know, where? I don't see the dust. She, she went over to the TV. You don't see this? Uh, yeah, yeah, now I do. <laughs> so, uh, how are we going to fill that back in? <laughs> you know? You know, how are we going to do that? <laughs> dust it with what? I have never needed anything to dust with. I didn't know I had dust till you came over. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, now you're out here in this uh, dating thing with AIDS, you have to be thinking about uh, celibacy, you know. There's a word that was just destined to spend its whole life unused, just living in the dictionary. <laughs> nobody looking it up. And uh, <laughs> nobody even interested in it, you know. But now you have to think about it. I have noticed that women seem to be more nonchalant about celibacy when you talk with them. You know, they say, oh, you know, I haven't made love in about uh, uh, three or four months. And, you know, I really haven't missed it at all. Uh, I've been doing a lot of horseback riding. <laughs> really? You know, I went down to the stables, man. I said, how's business? Booming, Jack. I don't understand it, man. I don't understand it. You know? Ah, uh, yeah. That sex drive is, is powerful, isn't it, you know? You know, it gets me. I think there's always a crucial moment when you try to seduce a woman and she says no, you know? And, and you have to try to read that no. <laughs> and wonder if it really means no, you know? And wonder whether to ask why. That's always a big decision. Because <laughs> the ego is real vulnerable right then. And women think very quick under that pressure. You know, they always give you these, these, these reasons that are just offbeat enough that you have to think about, well, well why not? Uh, well, I'm uh, just not mentally prepared to make love right now. <laughs> what are you... <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. The sex drive is strong because, you know, God created the sex drive, though. That, you know, that's his doing. That's why it seems to run us out of control sometimes you know he was up in heaven you know working and saying uh say gabriel i want you to go over to that wall and hand me about 30 of those uh super sensitive nerve endings 30 wow what what you, what you working on god is 30 nerve endings gonna be explosive what is it what is it well, i'm working on the reproductive system this is it this is what's going to guarantee that there's going to be people that's right. I got the guarantee that there's going to be people through, no matter what's happening in the world, no matter through the arguments, through not talking to each other, there's got to be people. I got to make this feel too good for people to give up. In fact, hand me about five more. Yeah, I want them calling out my name. There you go. <clears throat> Franklin Ajay. Um... He wrote a book about comedy that is really great. And, of course, I can't remember the title of it right now. But I had him on the show a few years ago to talk about it. He's been in the business forever. And uh, we were just saying off the air that he was he played uh, Maya Rudolph's dad in Bridesmaids. Which I watched over the weekend. 
My favorite performance in that movie is, uh, what's her name, Wendy, uh, the one from uh, the Goldbergs. That's my favorite performance in Bridesmaids. She just kills me in that movie. I cracked a towel. Oh my god! I just. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy! All right, uh, more uh, Carson comedy classics coming up all week. Two thirty every uh, week, every morning. I should say every weekday morning. More Carson comedy classics. All right. Hey, we got the weather coming up. Okay. Uh, Let's see. It's Frank's been on hold for a little while. Hey, Frank, go ahead. Hi, Max. How you doing? All right. What's up? All right. I got a few here. Uh, this is like back in the 50s. Somebody would be smoking a little weed, you know, and they say, hey, man, I'm hungry. So you, you want to go pack? You want to go eat? And bread was money. Mm. And there was a song, rock and roll, called Black Slacks. I forget what the group was. And then they say, hey, man, you big glute. But the Italians used to call me, hey, you're a really mama look, you know? Yeah, I know the that big, one. The big I, mama look. Yeah, 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 I know <laughs> that, one. I've heard heard that, that one. one. I've heard that one a million times, actually, Frank. Okay, thanks, buddy. 312-981-7200. Bo- uh, here, words that will inst- instantly age you. I totally agree with this one, Tom. Pocketbook. Completely agree with that. Your purse is where you keep your phone, keys, and wallet. Your pocketbook is where your grandmother keeps her checkbook and a handful of hard candies. <laughs> How about necking? Well, and that's making out, man, right? Yeah. Necking? Yeah. Unless you're uh, trying to sound significantly older than you actually are, it's high time you ditched necking from your va- vocabulary. To people born past in the past 50 years, it's kissing or hooking up. What about hanky-panky? Yeah, you can use that one. But I remember one of my parents' friends said necking all the time. They said it all the time. I remember there was a, there was a girl around my age. I was probably 12 or 13 when we were hanging out uh, at the house. There was a girl that was my age who was visiting the, the family and hanging out and so she and i walked uh walked out into the backyard i'll never forget this and then uh, one of the one of the parents said hey no necking <laughs> no necking necking yeah i don't know where that came from i don't know I mean, it's like you know being i don't know yeah, I don't know the origin. How about hottie? Hottie. There are plenty of good ways to describe someone you find attractive, but unless you're trying to make yourself woefully out of touch, hottie shouldn't be one of them. You remember the uh, Paris Hilton movie, Hot, The Hottie, hottie and the Naughty? Just don't. <laughs> just, just put that one down. Just put that to bed. How about World Wide Web? <laughs> Considering that most websites no longer need users to input the www prefix, describing something as living on the World Wide Web is more than a little unnecessary. Or the net. (laughs) Get on the net. You mean with Sandra Bullock? (laughs) (laughs) Carl Reiner's favorite movie. Carl Reiner loved that movie. (laughs) God love what him. is that? What does Jerry Stiller refer to it? 
I was watching a very provocative movie about the about the internet, um, starring that that girl, starring that girl from the bus. <laughs> he refers to speed as the bus, starring that girl from the bus. <laughs> a very provocative movie. I was watching a very provocative movie about the the, net. the internet, and it started that girl from the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Little did we know Jerry Stiller was doing a Carl Reiner impersonation. Oh, Jerry Stiller. Somewhere beyond the sea, somewhere waiting for me, my lover stands on golden sands and watches the ships. That Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here till uh, 4 o'clock as we are every weekday morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. And at 4 o'clock we head over to the TV side of WGN for some uh, news and information. And then at 5 o'clock the legendary Bob Surratt has your morning drive. And the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. We're talking about words that instantly age you, or words that you just don't like, that maybe make you crazy. 312-981-7200. Here's Robert on WGN. Go ahead, Robert. Yeah, you know, there's a whole bunch of them, but uh, I've always used stoked. And, you know, I had friends of mine call me up, and I'd never seen the movie, and they said, you got to watch this movie, Jumanji, because dude in there. And that's another one, dude, stoked. And now with the marijuana being legal, I always would say an after-lunch Dubonet, and people look at you strange, because mm-hmm. back in the day it was called dubs, yeah, not blunts. And I actually went, you know, just to see how much it costs nowadays, which is astronomical. But I went and I said, how much does a lid cost? And they looked at me like I was from Mars. Yeah, nobody go, says nobody says lid they, anymore. They, they go, what's a lid? I go an ounce, and they said about six hundred and eighty dollars. And I went, wow, Jesus! I stopped smoking that crap when it cost me fifty bucks. Yeah, All now right. it's I, you can afford to smoke today. Woo-hoo, you got some money. Yep. All right, Robert. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for the report on how much pot costs now. <laughs> Yeah, lid. I remember I told you lid, and you were like, "What?" Yeah, that was that was a first for yours truly. Yeah, go out and get a lid, man. Unbelievable. <laughs> get get better names. Yeah, that was, it's the seventies, man. How much pot you got? I got a lid. <laughs> he mentioned stoked. That's that one's right here on uh, words that instantly age you. You ever say stoked? Stoked. Uh, no. no. The go-to of excited 90s skaters around the world saying stoked today does little than to tell people that you're old enough to remember Reagan's first term in office. <laughs> you ever see the movie Rad? Yes, I have. Beautiful stuff. Uh, gal. She may be a great gal to you, but odds are she preferred uh, to be referred to as a woman instead. Yeah, this isn't His Girl Friday. Uh, Baloney. 
While its hominem is still popular lunch meat throughout the United States, this antiquated term has long since been replaced with fake news. That's a bunch of baloney. I still like that term. I like that. Or codswallop. Codswallop? Codswallop, yeah. I don't know what that is. You never you never heard codswallop? Nope. Same idea. Is as baloney? Yeah, like it's nonsense. I I've never heard that before. It's very formal British. Okay. Yeah, codswallop. How about bosom? Unless you're quoting some centuries old piece of literature, you can just refer to them as breasts like everyone else born since the McCarthy hearings. <laughs> What about bosom buddies? Yeah, bosom buddies. Little Peter Scolari, Tom Hanks. Yeah, little early Hanks. Wasn't Don Don Dixon? I used to love bosom buddies. So that was them. They were pretending to be women, right? Yeah, so they could they could live in the hotel. Yeah, yeah, it was an all women's hotel. Right. That was the that was the gist of it. God, what a weird premise for a show. It was on for like four seasons. I too. know. I know, super popular, and that's the, that's you know that's what got Tom Tom Hanks famous. Sure, yeah. It, it wasn't his. It wasn't his first movie. Uh, he knows you're alone. Oh yeah, it was a slasher, right? Yeah, slasher movie. <laughs> so it, so then it was bosom buddies, and then he did like what bachelor party right after that splash 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 was before bachelor party. Yeah, Sp- splash was the big. That was the that was the one. Him and Daryl Hannah. Yep. Yeah. Eugene Levy, John Candy. Yeah. <laughs> What a cast! Terrific cast for for a movie about a John Candy. Mermaid. John Candy's hilarious in it. Well, so is oh. Eugene. So is Eugene Levy. Yeah. But John Candy really steals that movie. Like he did a lot. Of, he stole a lot of movies. John Candy. I'd love to see someone explain to a person like a, a teenager today. Like, yeah, you see Tom Hanks here, prestige actor, Oscar winner, right? Two years in a row. Two years in a row. Yep. Uh, been in some of the best movies ever made. Yep. Here's Bachelor Party. Yeah. <laughs> Here's Bosom Buddies. Let, let me let me say something to you. I met Tom Hanks. Okay. Oh. And he's he's as nice as anybody ever. Cl- you know, he's he's Tom Hanks. Sure. He was in town. I can't. I think he was in town for the Chicago Film Critics Awards. I think it was when he won for Forrest Gump. Mm. So it was right around that time, mid nineties. Okay. And. uh I came up to him and I was like, look, just because you're winning all these Oscars now, don't forget about Bachelor Party. And he goes, I love Bachelor Party. <laughs> he said he loves it. He says it's some of his, I think he says it's some of his funniest work. Bachelor Party's hilarious. It is funny. It's very funny. And that was really when, once, once Forrest Gump came out, that it was over. He was, he was just in the, he was in the stratosphere. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he was already famous. He was a bit, you know, he did big, he did everything like that. Well, big was the one that got him his first Oscar nomination. Right. You know, big was kind of the breakout one. But by the time, but, 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 when but listen, Forrest when, Gump happens, it's just... Two Oscars in a row. You win for Philadelphia, and then you win for Forrest Gump. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, best actor, two years in a row. He's great in both movies. Yes. How about the word pictures? As in, we're going to the pictures? Yeah. Come on, honey. We're, let's grab a couple egg creams. We're going to the pictures. St- still a thing. What else would Instagram, what else would, it, would there be an Instagram for? But however, calling movies pictures automatically makes you seem older. I sometimes say that's a good picture. 
Yeah. I don't say I'm going to the pictures, but I do refer to film or movies yeah. as a picture every once in a while. The kid stays in the picture. What a great book. Yeah. Oof. How about Groovy? Hey, don't tell Bruce Campbell. Speaking of which, boy, did they have a big turnout over the weekend. They demolished, yeah. At uh, at Midway. Yeah. Did you see the jacket he wore? I did. <laughs> Impressive. Impressive. That man can dress. Bruce he, Campbell yeah. can dress, man. Um, virtually nothing that's happened on this side of the 70s should be described as groovy anymore. He gets a special dispensation, I'd say. Oh, Bruce Campbell? Yeah. Oh, pfft. Yeah, no, I, not that he needs it. I'm just saying. Bruce Campbell, man. <laughs> Icebox. Oh, man. Do people I, still have an icebox? Well, I mean, people refer to the refrigerator as icebox. Since, I mean... I mean, they, they literally used to have an icebox. Well, an icebox, yeah. Right, like the honeymooners have. Right. That's an icebox. Right. But some people still refer to their refrigerator... As the icebox. As the icebox. The icebox was a very specific thing. It means keeping food cold using ice. Unless you were born in an era that predated household electricity, it's probably time to start calling them what everyone else calls them, fridges. The Frigidaire. Well, that's a brand. Right, but that's where the term fridge comes from. It's not from refrigerators, from frig- Frigidaire. What? Okay. That's the brand I have in my house, by the way. You got a Frigidaire? I do. How about courting? Aw. Things, uh, things only of, frogs instead do. Instead of dating, you could say courting. Romancing. <laughs> Romancing the stone. All right. More words that instantly age you. What words make you crazy? 312-981-7200. If you would like to join us, 312-981-7200. A little bit later on, my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. And But we want to hear from you. What are some of the words that drive you crazy and words that age you immediately? Courting. <laughs> Uh, that's a good term, don't you think? <laughs> Courting. All right. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number. News is up now. Dick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're here till 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place for the TV side of WGN. Get some news and information from them. And then at 5 o'clock, the one, the only Bob Surratt has your morning drive. Uh, Yeah. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke. Because it's Monday, and you want to start off your work week with a laugh. So my dad uh, is going to tell a joke. Coming up in just a little bit. Uh, 312 981 7200, if you want to join us, we're talking about uh, words that instantly age you. Or are there certain words that make you nuts? You know what word uh, most people hate? Moist. Moist. Yep. A lot of people, particularly women, hate that word. But how else would you describe a particularly good cake? 
I would describe it with moist, moist. But, it, but it wouldn't be. Yeah. And also, you know, like if it's very humid out. I, I don't like it in that context. I don't want to describe, you know, people sweating. No, the air. Oh the, oh, oh, the air is moist. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> as long as I can relate it back to cake, I'm okay with that. Yeah, uh, but I, I, I just know a lot. I know a, a lot of people who can't stand that word. I, I, irregardless is what. That's not, not, you know what? They just put that in the, you know, that, you know yep. they just put that in the dictionary? Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are, what, are, what are we talking about here? I don't know, man. Um, I'm pretty upset, honestly. <laughs> it's such it's a ridiculous. minor sticking point, but yeah. it's ridiculous. I mean, it 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 it's gotten to the point now where we can just make up words and they'll end up in the dictionary at some point. I mean, to be fair, that's how language works. Yeah, but irregardless. <laughs> well, that just goes against, I mean, it just goes against the rules of English. That that's my sticking point with irregardless. It goes against it's redundant. It should it, not it, it, be. It, it should it, not be in the dictionary. No, it should not. Oh well, it's. Let me put it this way: is that sometimes the meanings of words change yes. on how we use them. Like literally, there there is oh. a definition of of literally in the dictionary that says uh, used for emphasis, not literal. What? Yeah. They they that's a definition of literally is you is being used for emphasis for something that is figurative. Oh come on, man. which is the opposite of what literal means. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like oh, my, literally, my head exploded. No, it didn't. Because right. otherwise, you wouldn't have a head right now. Yeah, but that's now in the dictionary. That's just so now, irregardless, which means to act with regard. Because I guess the IR prefix means is like a negative. So, but regardless is already a negative. It already word. is. Yes. So, just, I don't know. I don't get it. It's like people who say, I, I don't like that fishes is an official way to say a plural of fish. It should just be fish. Like deer. Wait, wait, wait a minute. What do you mean fishes? Fishes. It People say fishes? Yeah. It's in the dictionary. Get fishes out of here. With an S. It shouldn't. I Personally, I don't think it should be that. It What's should that? just be fish. It should just be fish. Maybe unless to... you're referring to the candy. Or who you're sleeping with. What? The fishes. Oh. <laughs> um, all right. They're, these are words that instantly age you. Or they're words that make you nuts. 312-981-7200. Pantyhose. Yes, pantyhose are still a thing, but those flesh-toned stockings are certainly less common today than they were 30 years ago. And no, despite what some people of a certain age might insist, the term isn't synonymous with anything that covers your legs but doesn't quite meet the criteria for pants. (laughs) The criteria for pants. Do women not wear pantyhose anymore? No, not really. No? No. Not really. What are they going to do with all the little plastic eggs? <laughs> how, how are we going to rob banks? If there's little no plastic, you know, what is a little, now who was going to collect all those little plastic eggs? Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, most younger women still wear their, uh, their pantyhose. They're, those are colloquially known as nylons, right? 
Yeah, nylons, yeah. Nylons. Mm. Okay. I don't know. I'm old. Here's Bruce on WGN. Hi, Bruce. Hey, Nick. Love you, love your show. Thanks, buddy. Hey, here's a word I can't stand. Uh, the word like, when used by teenagers in between every other word, uh, yeah, it's like really, really like, you know, really annoying, like, uh, like really annoying, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can't stand it. <laughs> yeah, it's not as ca- it's not as common as it used to be, Bruce. It used to be much worse. Yeah, it, it, you're right. You're right. It's it, still annoying. It's still annoying, but it used to be much worse. So, yeah. Okay, Bruce. Thanks, buddy. See you, man. All right. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. There's another word that makes you that ages you immediately. Heavens. The good thing about using this term when you're surprised by something. Those sweet senior citizen discounts, it's bound to open up. Oh, heavens. <laughs> uh, uh, percolator. While Twin Peaks may have made the word percolator known by a whole new audience, most people just call these coffee makers today. Do they still have percolators? I don't even know. Well, now they got these things. You just put a, what are you, just a single serving little cup thing? I don't drink coffee anymore, so I don't know. But that's what they have here. You stick the little cup in there, little plastic cup, stick it in the machine, and then you 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 have coffee in front of your face. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back, and we've got more words that will instantly age you or words that, that make you nuts. 312-981-7200. It's Nick DeGilio and WGN. Now I'm not like this. I'm really kind of shy. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and we are live in the Skyline studio here until 4, um, and my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's Monday, and it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Okay, we've been talking about words that instantly age you, or words that you uh, that you just don't like. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Here's Guy on WGN. Hello, Guy. Good morning, um, Nick. Uh, this is Guy from Elmwood Park, and uh, I spoke about your father, how we, we used to enjoy hearing his jokes. Right. And I, I'm finding myself looking forward to Monday morning, and I'm waiting for whatever number is going to come up. Uh, but um, what I was going to say is uh, we've been going, my wife and I have been going to Panera's in, uh, in Elmwood Park, which is starting to open up a little bit. And lately now, there's a little old guy. We've seen him before. He's bent over. And uh, he has a t- hard time walking, but he comes around to different people. And lo and behold, he comes up with these little jokes again, and very similar to your father's uh, style. Now I've got myself thinking, maybe I should get my little book and start doing this. I, I'm not real good with jokes. I don't remember them. But now I'm thinking about maybe I should do that. But I think it would, wouldn't it be interesting to see how did your father start with this? And how did he, you know, start putting he's been them telling, down in the book? Been, he's and, been telling jokes for his entire life. His entire life. As far back as I can remember, he's always been telling jokes. 
Always. Has he, but with the writing them down and all that? And he started writing them down. Yeah, he started writing them down. He's got joke books and everything. He's been telling jokes his entire life. Yeah, I mean, he's one of these lucky guys that can do it. And uh, I'm not that that good at telling jokes and not good as remembering them. But I'm thinking maybe I should try that and see what happens. Well, you it know? might be it might be a good choice for you, guy. Thanks for the call. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. How about the word broad? The writers and actors on Broad City can use the term as a means of referring to women. Most people, however, should not. I miss Broad City. It was a good show. Oh, God. I love that show. show. That was two of the funniest women to ever live. Plus, he got those bit parts from Hannibal. Well, he's hilarious. Yeah. So... Uh, here's Jim on WGN. Hi, Jim. Hey there. Hey. Uh, my grandma lived with us when I was a kid, and she'd have her seven ladies come over to play cards, and they uh, would, they called their drinks highball. Oh, sure. Well, it's a highball. That's a glass. Highball is a glass. That's the type oh, of glass okay. that you use. Yeah. All right. Well, I thought it was a drink. <laughs> it, well, it is a drink. You can say that, but it's a, yeah. but it's named after the glass. The highball itself is a type of glass that you pour you pour a cocktail into. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I was I was little, so I didn't know. All right. Thanks, Jim. All, all right. Have a good night. Yeah. No. I mean, it's referred to. People do refer to it as a drink, but that's the style of glass. So, is is a highball any type of drink that is made in a highball glass, or is a highball like specifically whiskey and something? Or I whatever? I think that it just refers generically. Yeah. Just any sort of cocktail. But it's, it's it's just, it just it all beca- because of the glass. That's the only reason it it, it that exists because that's a highball glass. You know, that's the type of glass is a highball. But now it's, yeah. it, it is referred to as, a, as you know, now it's, it's been lumped in together. Sure. And that's what it is, is that any drink made in a highball glass right. is a highball. So like a seven and seven, a scotch sure. and soda, rum and Coke, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Highball glass. Come on, ladies. Let's get some highballs and play bridge. Mm-hmm. We never referred to them as highball glasses, though, when I bartended. What'd you call them? Glasses. <laughs> Fair. It was either tall or short. That's what the... the... So, yeah. Do you ever call them uh, the short ones? Do you ever call them a stubby? Stubby glass? No. Okay. No. Uh, here's uh, Larry on WGN. Hey, Larry. Hey, good morning, Nick. Hey, you know what uh, I can't stand is when... Like if somebody's at, talking to somebody, especially like an interview on TV or radio, and they start with the word "so," I right away I just change the channel because to me that I can't believe whatever they're going to tell me if they got to say "so," you know. Okay. It, 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 hey, here's a joke: a skeleton walks into a, a bar and orders a, a beer and a mop. Yeah, Thank I heard. Very much. I've heard that one. All right, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Larry. All right. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Here are more words that uh, might uh, instantly aid you or should not be used. Like, for instance, cool beans. I can't stand that. Cool beans. How dare you? Respond cool beans to a member of Gen Z and enjoy the blank stare and giggling that commence. Cool beans. Uh, let's see. Here's Bill on WGN. Hi, Bill. Yeah, N- Nicholas. Yes. I've got a word for you. Filling station. 
Yeah, nobody says that anymore. No, that's an old timer. Yep. Thank you. Oh, okay, take care. Yeah, filling station. That's back when actually people, you know, did pump your gas for you. So, like that, it's like that scene in Back to the Future when he first goes back in, in, in time and he looks at the at the Texaco and like all the guys come out and start servicing the cars. <laughs> you know, I think it's. And correct me if I'm wrong. Is it still New Jersey? You can't. I think it's illegal to pump your own gas. I think you're right. I I, I think I'm pretty sure you're right. I'm I've pretty heard, sure it's Jersey. I've heard Oregon too, but I'm not sure about Oregon because I had a friend I went to college with that was from New Jersey. I could ask my ex-wife. She lives in Oregon. Yeah, give her, give your ex-wife a call. You think she's up? <laughs> Yo, yeah, she's <laughs> she's awake. She's already thrilled with me as a yeah. human anyway. So. <laughs> Calling her at three thirty in the morning shouldn't. No, it's it's it would be it would be one thirty there. Yeah, just one thirty. She's probably awake. Yeah, she's awake. But she works for a living, man. Yeah. But I had a friend from New Jersey in college, and one time we were driving, and we stopped at a gas station. I asked her, "Is like, hey, can you go pump the gas? I'll here's my card. I gotta like make a phone call. Can you pump the gas?" She's like, "No." It's like, "Why not? I don't know how." Like, what do you mean you don't know how? You got a driver's license, don't you? She said, "Yeah, but in New Jersey, you can't pump your own gas." That's just uh, strange. That's a strange law. Uh, here's Glenn on WGN. Hi, Glenn. Hey, morning, Nick. Hey. If I hear the word entanglement one more time this week, I will pull out what's left of my hair. <laughs> entanglement? Yes, because of the whole Will Smith and Jada thing, you know, every three seconds, every time you look up, someone's using the word entanglement, even out of context. Ah, uh-huh. Okay. I hope his fingers get entangled in barbed wire so they can stop typing it. I mean, every right. time you look up, entanglement. Okay, thanks, Glenn. All right, take it easy, Nick. I, I am not hearing an increase in that word at all in my, in my area. Tom, are you hearing entanglement a lot? Well, because the Will Smith thing. I don't even know what that means. What Will Smith do? Uh, he's she. Well, it was Jada Pinkett Smith. She had a uh, an entanglement with a singer. She cheated on Will Smith. So she cheated on Will Smith. I think that is the um, oh. So that's well, the while se- well, they were separated. Yeah, I know, thought there was. I, mean, a, I like, thought there was a time when they were separated. Yeah, they were separated, and uh, yeah, they've been together a long time, mm-hmm. haven't they? A really long time, as far as I can remember. I and mean, that's his second wife. I mean, how old are those kids? You know. We've got kids from a previous marriage, too. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah. I always forget how old he is. The Fresh Prince. He got he got married young, though. He did, I imagine, yeah. Because he's, he's younger than me, I'm pretty sure. Uh, here's Trucker Rich. Hey, Rich. Hey, Nick. Hearing hey. you talk about uh, filling stations, remember when gas was called regular or ethyl? Yeah. Instead of premium? Yep. And I don't know why. You know, why they call it Ethel, you know? Yeah, I don't know. But I don't know what the origin is, every, but I do remember that. But every station did. And another one was is the, the saying that gets to me is back in the day. Yeah, does people still say that? I've heard it, you know, like different older people use it, you know, like back in my day. Right. You know? Right. But, yeah, so, but that drives me nuts. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> All right, Rich, thanks. Right. Yep, Take have care. a good one. How about fat? P 
P-H-A-T. While generally intended as a compliment, this 90s slang not only has the potential for offense, it definitely makes you seem like you haven't updated your vocabulary in a good 20 years. How about TiVo? (laughs) Enjoy the perplexed look that you get when you ask someone under 40 to TiVo something for you. Under 40? Yeah. I know what TiVo is. Yeah, but you don't say it. You say DVR, right? No, I say TiVo. Because t- that's what that was the th- the brand. You TiVo it. Do you have TiVo? I don't. I also okay. don't have cable, but yeah. I well, guess if you I- have TiVo, then yeah, that's the correct. I don't. Ha- I have a DVR. I don't have TiVo. So you don't say TiVo. You say I say DVR. DVR it. Yeah, DVR it. Yeah. But back in the day, TiVo was kind of the only option. God, when did TiVo debut? Nineties. Oh, wow. I remember I was I was on with my old partner Gary Lee Wright one one morning, and this was in the early days of TiVo, and so we were like, we were curious. It's like if you have TiVo, you know, call us up. We want to know what you use it for and stuff like that. So this guy calls up and he goes, "I'm not I'm not making this up." This guy calls up and he and he goes, "You know what's great about TiVo is that you can like if you can freeze it, you can rewind it, and you can freeze it." And it's really cool because there's this episode of Three's Company where Jack's thing pops out. And, 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 you know, there's, I mean, you know, and so he's like, that's what he's using TiVo for is so that he can see John Ritter's uh, thing. It's like, that's, that's why you have TiVo? That's the best part of having TiVo? Because it would have been pretty expensive back then, right? To, to have uh, that set up? I think so, yeah. I mean. At least more expensive than it eventually became. Yeah. So it's you not got, very expensive now. No, no. But you got this whole setup just so you can just look so you at can John, see Ritter's, John Ritter's Johnson. Thing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, that is a, you know, that is a pretty you know, notorious episode. You know, everybody, everybody knows about it. If you've ever watched Three's Company, you know about that episode. So. All right. Uh, let me give you some weather. And then we're going to talk more about words that instantly age you or words that you don't like. And my dad's going to call in and tell a joke. All right. Hello. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. And uh, we're live in the Skyline studio. 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago here till 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place, the TV side of WGN, get some early morning news. And then at 5 o'clock, the one, the only Bob Surratt for your morning drive. We've been talking about words that instantly age you or words that we should uh, maybe stop using. How about fiddlesticks? You ever use that one? I don't think so. Why swear in frustration you could just use this adorably antiquated expression instead? Oh, fiddlesticks. <laughs> Peas and rice. Uh, let's see. Here's Nancy on WGN. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Nick. Do you know what drives me crazy is when people ask you a question and then they say or no. Uh, give me an example. Are we going to go to the show tonight or no? <laughs> okay. Have so they heard that. Uh, yes, I have heard that. Yeah, it, well, I don't know why they say that. Uh, I guess they want to know whether you're going to go to the movies. 
But you just ask the question. You don't need to say or no. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. All right, Nancy. Hey. Thanks. Okay. Hey, another one. Is cool still in? Is what? Cool. Cool. The the word cool. 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 Yeah. Oh, is it okay? I didn't think it was anymore. Okay, thanks. All right, thanks, Nancy. Yeah, the word cool is still is still being used quite frequently, actually. Pretty cool. I say it all the time. Hi, Laura. Hi, Nick. I'm a regular caller. I'm on my way to work. Um, I hate the word, and I haven't heard it in a while. Back in the 80s, people would say, um, oh, gosh, I just forgot. Excuse you. Oh. That's the word. <laughs> Excuse you? Excuse you, yeah. Ridiculous. Um, well, and then I thought of another one, uh, rigmarole. Oh, That's yeah. One. Yeah, I actually like that word. Not, doesn't, that word doesn't, I don't hear that one very often, rigmarole. So do I. Every now and then I'll throw that one out there. Yeah, I like that one. Okay, Laura, thanks. Thank you. Okay, she's on her way to work. Rigmarole. That's good. That's a good, I like that word. Uh, all right. How about videotape? Well, videotape still exists. If you're calling filming something on your iPhone videotaping, you're definitely not making yourself seem any younger or more technologically literate. Do people do people do that? I guess they do. Tape this with your phone, even though there's no tape involved. How about Paramore? Paramore is a band. Paramore is about the most outdated way to describe someone you met on Bumble. How about Whippersnapper? A word only used by grandmothers and cartoon characters. (laughs) Whippersnapper. That's another one that I kind of like that has a nice... Nostalgic, weird feel to it. Uh, going steady. People still say that? It's not exactly like exclusive dating no longer exists, but referring to it as going steady has largely gone the way of the dinosaurs. Um, here's uh, Roosevelt on WGN. Go ahead, Roosevelt. Nick, how you doing? Thank you for taking my call, my friend. Yep. The one that drives me nuts, and I don't think I've ever heard anybody say it right, is when they say mano y mano. It's totally wrong because the word why, why is considered and in Spanish. Right. So when you say mano y mano, you're saying hand and hand. You're not saying hand to hand. Hand to hand is mano a mano. In other words, the word a. Right. So, but nobody, nobody ever says it right. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, yeah, that you're correct. They always say they always get it wrong. You hear it in the news, you hear it every and there's always mano y mano. Not mano y mano, it's mano a mano. Got it. All right, All Roosevelt, right. thanks, buddy. Thank you. All right. John on WGN. Hi John. Uh, yeah, you were talking about fiddlesticks. Well, that's one of those words that's a fake swear. It's like fiddle dee dee. You really wanted to say a different F word, but you can't. So you say, ah, fiddlesticks. Yeah, no, that's where it comes from, I know. Yeah, and then there's a classic one in um, in the musical Oklahoma. Ado Annie, when she gets upset, just says, oh, foot. Yeah, okay. All right, John, thanks.
Okay. All right. In case, you, in case you're someplace where you can't say the F word, fiddlesticks. Fiddlesticks is also the name of a snack that you can purchase at the Jewels. Am I right? Fiddlesticks, right? Yeah, fiddlesticks. And it's like pretzels or something? What is it? What is it? Let's see. Fiddlesticks. I remember it being a, 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 a snack. I just don't remember what it's composed of. But yeah, did, did you did you find any information on fiddlesticks, the snack? Um, yeah, I'm finding photographs. Like it, they're they're like a pretzel sort of. That's thing. what I thought. But you can get like sweet and spicy fiddlesticks, which actually sounds really good. I remember enjoying them. I haven't had fiddlesticks in a very long time. I, I need to go get a bag of bugles sometime. Oh, it's been too long since I've had bugles. They come in boxes, man. They don't come oh. in bags. Oh, yeah, boxes. Boxes of bugles. And that way you put, you take them and you put them on the on tips your of your fingers. On your fingers, yeah. You look like a witch. Bugles are good. There's a tasty snack right there. All right, how about the term boob tube? Ah, <laughs> uh, the good old boob tube. WGN Radio. Your uh, mic's on. Your mic's, there you go. Or as people born in the last 60 years call it, the TV. The boob tube. How about the word hip? If you're using this word to describe something fashionable or cool, it probably doesn't apply to you. I use hip. Especially when I'm talking about that mall. The hip. Yeah. The hip. How about tickled? (laughs) While the word happy probably won't go out of style anytime soon, don't be surprised if people stare at you like you're wearing a poodle skirt and bobby socks when you refer to something as tickled over something. Tickled pink. Um, Hooch. Oh, man. Hooch. There's no lack of cheap, low-quality booze in this world, but there's definitely a lack of people under 65 who call it hooch. (laughs) That's what a buddy of mine used to call pot. Called it hooch? Yeah, he's like, hey, man, I'm going to go get some hooch. But, no, that's incorrect. (laughs) That's that's what he referred to it as, hooch. Dummy. (laughs) Uh, Here's Damien on WGNA, Damien. Hey, how are you doing, Nate? All right. Uh, you were using a phrase earlier that irks me all the time. It's, yeah, no. When someone answers a question, they're like, yeah, no. Is it yeah or is it no? I say that all the time. Yeah, I heard it. I, that's what made me laugh. I was like, man, that's <laughs> when it always gets me is the yeah, no. Yeah, I say it all the time. I'd be the first to admit <laughs> I say it all the time. I and when we were little, we went to visit my grandma. We never sat on her sofa or her couch. It was a Davenport. Oh, good old Davenport. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. Do, you, do you say couch or sofa? I say couch. So do I. So do I. Yeah. But I, I know. I know some people. A lot of people say sofa. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. It was the old Davenport. All right, Damien. Thanks, man. Yeah. Good show. Take care. Davenport. What about whoopee? With so many words for sex out there, why limit yourself to a word most commonly associated with a cushion that imitates the sound of flatulence? You know, you can thank uh, Bob Eubanks for that. For the whole whoopee thing. Um, Here's Big Ed. Go ahead, Ed. Hey, Nick. How you doing? All right. What's up? Something you never hear anymore. 
I got to go call my old lady. <laughs> uh, the old lady, yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a, said, that was a sixties thing mostly. Sixties and seventies. Nobody says that anymore. Yep, it's true. All right, Ed, thanks. Bye. Because women don't like it yeah, being referred to as like the old it. lady. Hey, I got to go home and see the old lady. How about the old ball and chain? The old ball and chain. <laughs> I called Lauren that once and she hit me. You called her your ball and chain? Yeah, as a joke. I was like, oh, yeah, I got to head out of here. Go leave him with the old ball and chain. And uh, I deservedly got hit in the face. <laughs> I was I was slapped right across the face. I deserved that 100%. What about galoshes? Galoshes? What, like wellies? What is a wellie? Wellingtons? Boots? Rubber boots? Yes. Okay. What, what do you, why would you call them wellies? Short for Wellingtons. What does that mean? Well, that's the brand of boot. Is that British? Yes. Okay. I was going to say, because I, you know, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, you call them wellies. Short for Wellingtons. Uh-huh. Not in this country, my friend. Not in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Right, Red, white, and Jack blue. Jackass. <laughs> Go back to Britain. <laughs> Take that talk with you. <laughs> All right. Let me give you some weather and then, uh, hey, you know what's going to happen then? My dad's going to call in and tell a joke. Because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's the best part of the week, baby. It's time to hear something funny. Here we go with your music intro. Ah! It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. What'd I say? It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Right. You know, um, did I ever told you that the, 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 the theme song is in the trailer for Colossal? I remember telling, because Jason Skaggs, you know, put that together. And I remember telling Skaggs that. He's like, I go, how did, how did you get, how did you end up in the trailer for, how did that song end up in the trailer for Colossal? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's in there. <laughs> Another reason I have a deep connection with that movie. <laughs> All right. Every uh, Monday morning, my dad tells a joke. He's been telling jokes his whole life because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. And so let's say hello to my dad. Hey, Dad. Hi, Ned. How you doing? Good. How's Ma? I th- good, good. All right. I think um, you were thinking of fiddle faddle, the caramel corn. Oh, fiddle faddle. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. Fiddle faddle. That's right. Okay. I remember loving that when I was a kid. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. You still have it. Okay, cool. All right, you uh, got a joke. Maurice, an 82-year-old man, went to the doctor for his physical. A few days later, the doctor saw Maurice walking down the street with a beautiful, gorgeous young lady on his arm. doctor said, Maurice, you're doing great. Maurice said, just doing what you told me to do. You told me to get a hot mom and be cheerful. doctor said, I did not say that. I said, get a, you have a heart murmur and be careful. All right. <laughs> All right, Dad. Thanks. All right, Ned. Okay, see you later. Okay. Heart murmur and be careful. <laughs> Did he get his ears checked? 
That was jokey, jokey, jokey time. It was a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad told a joke. Yeah, and he'll do it again next week, every Monday. I did just check the... I went back and listened to the Colossal trailer. You are... I, you're 100% correct. Yeah. I never even noticed it. I remember I was watching the trailer, you know, one night, and I was like, wait a minute, that's my dad's joke theme. How did it end up in the trailer for Colossal? It must just be a stock track. Skaggs said he did it. He composed it. Really? Yes. They might owe him some money. That's all I'm going to say. I, I, you, get, yeah, you don't just I mean, get to I remember, use the, that. I remember the first time I saw the trailer, I was like, wait, what? I was like, wait a minute, what is going on? God. Good for him. Good for Skaggs. Well, if he, he he didn't know it. Look at the big brain on Skaggs. I said, well, how did it end up in the in the trailer for Colossal? He's like, what are you talking about? That's wild. Because that's it. I mean, that's no, it's it. it. Yeah. yeah, I'm not kidding. All right. Here's uh, Mel on WGN. Go ahead, Mel. Hey, Nick. Yeah, great uh, show as always. Uh, subject matter. Listen, in tribute and uh, compliment to your dad, I was going to say Fiddle had had a uh, twin brother, Fiddle and Faddle. So whichever way you want to go with it. I mean, you, how f- Faddle, how Fiddle and Faddle quit fiddling around and just, you know, quit fiddling around and just quit playing around. Uh-huh. So. So just quick ways of saying, you know, you know, let's get the show on the road. Right. And that was another one years ago, too. You know, let's get the show on the road. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good one. All right, Mel, thanks. Right. Sure, take care. Here's Jim on WGN. Hey, Jim. Yeah, good morning, Nick. How are you? All right, what's up? Oh, uh, yeah, in the 1950s, uh, when it was raining out, you put these uh, flimsy uh, things uh, on your on your shoes, you know, when you were talking about galoshes. Right. But they but uh, they were called rubbers, you right. know, and uh, and your uh, mother would say, uh, when you go to school when it's raining, don't forget your rubbers. Right. And, and in later years, I would think about that and laugh because uh, she's telling me to take my rubbers to school. Right. Okay. You know? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, thank you. All right, Jim, take care. Yeah, that's what they that's what they called the galoshes. What are they called in uh, uh, b- Britain? Wellies. wellies. Yeah, wellies, short for Wellingtons. I don't even know what the hell that means. Well, it's kind of like, you know, we have we call all tissues here Kleenex. Yeah, but that's a brand. Yeah, so it's Wellingtons. That's oh, they're just called wellies. Brand. Every yeah. every galosh is 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 a wellie. Yeah, because it's they like all uh, vacuum cleaners in the UK are called Hoovers. <laughs> call them a Hoover. Uh huh, and it's even who you don't vacuum, you Hoover. All right. What are other products that are that are that ended up being generic, like Kleenex, mm. where you just it's actual it's an actual brand. chapstick, chapstick, chapstick. Yeah, you don't ask for lip balm, you ask for chapstick, even if it's not chapstick, even if it's not chapstick. Yeah, it's true. True. All right. How about clicker? <laughs> People still refer to the remote control as a clicker? I've heard some people say that, and I think it's because their parents said it. The clicker. When nobody's helping you on your frantic search for the clicker, it might help if you refer to it as a more modern remote instead. Um, how about frock? 
What's that? What's a frock? While the word is still used in some contexts, like the defrocking of a priest, it sounds adorably old-fashioned when you're using it to describe what's better known as a dress. Yeah, a frock. Stepping out. Joe Jackson. Unfortunately, the act of stepping out hasn't gone away, but most people born this side of the bicentennial call it cheating. Yeah, you're stepping out on your... uh, on your wife, that's cheating. Oh, that's what stepping out means. Yeah, St- uh, like step- in addition to stepping out, you know. And, and, yeah, and, but you're, if you're stepping out on your girlfriend, that you're means, cheating. Oh wow, I didn't bring that back. I think that's a good term. It's an interesting one. Uh, gas. Carbon monoxide is a gas. Your grandma's friend Herb, who she also refers to as a gas, is just funny. That guy's a gas. Jalopy. That's a good word. Come on now. That that should be in more regular use. Referred to as that beater in your driveway as a jalopy, and you'll have the folks on Craigslist even more incentive uh, not to buy it. Mobile phone. Does anybody say mobile phone? They do in England, don't they? Yeah. They, don't it, they say they mobile? Never, yeah, they never said it wasn't cell phone. It was mobile. Mobile, right. Yeah, you grab, grab a hold of your mobile. The last person to use this phrase and sound cool was Tupac, and he's been dead for 22 years. <laughs> Dungarees. Dungarees. That's another good That's word, great. man. That's another good word. I, what are, yeah, well, I forget. What are the jeans. dungarees? The jeans, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get on your dungarees. Whether you wear them skinny, baggy, or boot cut, if you're calling your jeans dungarees, you're definitely dating yourself. Rolodex. People still use that word, don't they? No. No? I think think the last person I saw with a Rolodex is a producer here. He has a Rolodex. You know, it's funny. We were looking, you know, we wanted to call Spike. (laughs) Remember when those tornadoes, when the tornadoes (laughs) ripped through Nashville? Nashville, And we wanted to to make sure that Spike was okay. So I was like, does anybody have Spike's number? And uh, we found this old, <laughs> this really old Rolodex in the. It, wasn't it in Master Control? Yeah. And one of the and one of the Bob, I believe the. No, it was it was Dan Long. Oh, Dan Long found Dan it. Dan Long found it. <laughs> and uh, and so they so they brought it out, and it's like this really old Rolodex, and it had spikes. It didn't have his number. It it had his pager number. <laughs> that's how that's how old it was. We had we we <laughs> it had Spike's pager number in it. Uh, card. Today, typically what people use to play poker and other games with. If you're stuck in the past, however, it's a perfectly acceptable way to describe your hilarious best friend. Now, this guy's a real card. Stewardess. Oh, you can't say that. It's a... Uh, flight attendant. Flight attendant. Um, yeah, you're not, you're, you're not going to get... Uh, you're not going to get good service if you refer if you refer to her as a stewardess. That's just looked down upon. So, yeah, no, you got to leave that leave that one in the past. That's right. And then lousy. New York is lousy with hot dog carts. I actually like the I like that I like the, that word that use the use of lousy. So, all right, well, there are some fun words that instantly uh, age you. Okay, uh, we're coming up on uh, the uh, news.